What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 33rd draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrabeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. I think the uh, the Raptors won recently, they Matt. They did. We were, they did. Congratulations to the 2019 NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors. Everybody go watch Jurassic Park. Or the Carter Effect, which I will be talking about. Or as Neva said, Jurassic Six. Six. Direct six, because you know they call Toronto the six, or they did like six years ago. And they won it on game six. They did, yeah. A lot of six, six, six. Number oh, no. <laughs> Armageddon's coming. It did look like Armageddon on, on uh, like the end of the world on Thursday night when they won. We were recording this on a Saturday morning, our second podcast this week, although this will go up on Monday for next week's episode. But um I guess when you're listening to it, <laughs> that none of that mattered. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty crazy, man. Like I, um, I was like trolling a little bit on Twitter, but I was watching along. You felt bad for the um, people that had to go see Dark Phoenix and then oh my God, yeah. Young and Dundas and come yeah. out of the theater. That tweet afterwards. did okay for me. I mean, um, yeah, because <laughs> everyone was conjugating at. Uh, young Dun- not everyone, but many, many, well, a lot of fucking people. Well, it's the most central part of Toronto, right? Like, yeah, I mean, they had like, I think there were like different pockets of areas. So, anyways, the Raptors won the NBA championships on Thursday night. We recorded our last episode during Game Five when they had a chance to win. Yeah, and, and I just got home before everybody before, started, yeah. and I was hashtag blessed. <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> Thursday came around, they clinched the series, they beat the Golden State Warriors, and this city went crazy. So, uh, neither Eric or I are bas- big basketball fans. I mean, I, Unless we're talking Space Jam. Space Jam, yep. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. That's uh, When I was younger, I did uh, like Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady, because that was like the height of the Raptors kind of fandom, like after they first came into the league in 95 and then in the early 2000s is when I became kind of a Raptors fan a little bit. Uh, but I didn't really watch much of it. I just liked Vince Carter, so I got yeah. a Vince Carter jersey. And you'll be talking a little bit more about the, the Carter effect. Yeah, I will when we well. get into what we've been watching. But just the, our experience of, like, you were in Whippy when, when it happened. I don't know if anyone was going crazy in the streets no. in, in Whippy. It dies at around, like, <laughs> 8 p.m. Um, but being – I live on – You uh, live across the street from the Drake Hotel. Thanks for letting everyone know where I live now they okay. can come and murder me <laughs> so uh but yeah I live all of on, our fans i live on queen street in in toronto which is a, a pretty major street and um uh yeah people were going bonkers man i put some videos up on my instagram and you guys can i'm sure you guys have seen it in the news and things like that but um yeah uh so people were getting like pockets of area so there's this area called jurassic park that they they named it um <laughs> surprise surprise uh that's right outside of the scotia bank arena where the um the Raptors play. So that area and on front street near union station and stuff like that was crazy jam packed. And then if you went up a little further North young and Dundas for those who aren't from Toronto or is kind of like our imitation times square a little bit. Um, Times Square adjacent diet Times Square budget Times Square, however you want to call it. Well, especially Um, when you, you know, we went to New York last year and I went there for the first time. And when you actually go and see Times Square and then you come back and then you see Diet and Dundas Square. and you're just like, wow, this is just a poser. <laughs> it really is. But I mean, it's it, whatever. Um, I hate that area. It's much like new, how New Yorkers probably hate Times Square. Right? right. I mean, I fucking hate Young and Dundas. But uh, that's where a lot of people were. And I made a joke because there's a Cineplex theater there that we see a lot of movies and screenings at and things like that. And I'm like, I, I had to like fact 
fact check my own joke because I'm like, oh, I want to make sure that there were like late screenings of movies that night there. <laughs> Specifically and, Dark uh, Phoenix. Yeah, so I saw that there was a 1045 Dark Phoenix screening and which would have gotten out right around the time the Raptors would have won. And right? there's a couple there's and, a couple uh, restaurants and sport bars. Apologies, uh, I hit the uh, stop button on recording, so it cut uh, myself and Eric off randomly in the middle of talking about the Raptors. But yeah, Eric, you were mentioning there's a bunch of sports bars and stuff around the Young and Dundas area, so I'm sure there, were, like everyone there, had to be watching the Raptors. But imagine like you weren't a basketball fan at all, and just like you'd have to have the smarts to like stay out of that area. But yeah, I, no, I, don't go out that night. Yeah, I'm just currently sending you uh, the invitation for uh, my brother's wedding again. So cool. Just- I will remember to RSVP this time. Um, so yeah, it was it was bonkers, man. Like I didn't, I stayed home because I, again, I'm not a huge basketball fan. So I, um, but you are uh, are, are a homebody though. As for the well. most part, like I like going out. Yeah, yeah no, and, like, you can be social. I, don't get me wrong, but like I don't like crowds usually, yeah. and like just and we were saying this. Like again, I I'm so happy for Raptors fans and people who actually care. Um, there are a lot of people who just get that mob mentality that just want to participate. And I'm glad that they're happy. Um, as long as they weren't being idiots, there were some people who were being idiots, but you're always going to get that with like, when you have thousands and thousands of people out in the streets having fun and celebrating, like it was a crazy thing to experience and watch on television and look out my window and kind of see everyone on Queen Street. And, well, just hearing um, it as well, right? Yeah. Like hearing all the, the the celebrating and voices. And and the last time a Toronto team won was when the Blue Jays won in the nineties, right? Yeah, I mean some some fans of both the Toronto rock lacrosse team and the Toronto FC soccer oh, team on. and the Toronto Argonauts football teams will yell at you, uh, for that. I mean, on I'm, an, on a, on I'm a, on a, I don't want to say international, sp- yeah, but yes, like, I, the, the big, the big ones. Yeah. Are, Cause the Jays were a couple years ago as well. Seemed like they were when they were in the playoffs. And yeah. Stuff, we're doing really kinda, well. Yeah. Right. And then that kind of dashed everybody's hopes once they kind of, fouled yeah and fell fell out so i'll get not the yeah okay i'll give you that one but yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know sports man <laughs> when they uh you know got three strikes and they're out you know at the old ball game <laughs> when they got that uh, touchdown <laughs> so uh yeah the jays had a little bit of a run and then they've kind of become very bad and the leafs have, haven't won a fucking series since the early 2000s and like and it just hurts you um, every time yeah and uh and the leafs haven't won a stanley cup since 1967 i mean shout out to the st louis blues they won and and they hadn't won a stanley cup in their history for 40 plus years so the leafs are like one of the longest without winning it now um or they are but they've become a better team though right in the last few years they are actually a contender now where they're not awful so we're in a good because of the babadook toronto sports it's always been like a running joke that like we've been bad for so long like the blue jays had that back-to-back world series in the early 90s and and the raptors haven't won in their 25 year history until now the Leafs haven't won since 67 and then you we we made a joke being like I mean the Toronto FC won the MLS championship a couple years ago but again like football or slash soccer 
here is like it's still kind of a, a niche kind of thing it's not as mainstream as like basketball the, yeah or, the big three yeah right? which is hockey basketball i mean football but we don't have a team here and baseball are the big four right and even the nhl not huge in the u.s but huge here right so uh bat you'd argue that this is even bigger than this is bigger on a worldwide stage than even if the leafs were to win the stanley cup like the leafs winning the stanley cup would be the craziest thing in toronto um well even more so just for canada in general uh, not the leafs i think the raptors is a bigger thing for canada than the leafs winning because we have so many other hockey teams in canada that yeah nobody in in montreal cares yeah yeah. or vancouver or or edmonton or ottawa or so like the toronto thing there are leaf fans everywhere spread around the country and and things like that and it is there are the biggest thing in canada when it comes to like hockey but uh, i mean other uh hockey fans will probably be like tell me to fuck off because toronto always thinks they're the most important but uh, when it comes to the raptors it's just interesting because like we're the only canadian team so canada kind of got behind them right and um uh it, it felt like a movie a little bit like to bring this back into why the hell we're talking about it here like it, it did feel like if you look at those drone shots of young and dundas square or if you were outside and see the videos of people on the streets and like for the most part people were pretty respectful yeah you're gonna get like some yeah l- people drinking and littering and things like that and teen wolfing and um, hopping on the tops of cars that's what i don't necessarily agree with is like that kind of idiocy but Again, if you're not hurting other people, I mean, I don't agree with damage to property and things like that. Or if you're climbing scaffolding or giant, like, on the, to the roofs of things, I'm like, you're just an idiot. Yeah, like, and we won't have sympathy if you get hurt, Yeah, right? so, I mean, just celebrate responsibly and it's fun. Like, I, I don't, if the Leafs won the Stanley Cup, I would have been out there, right? Right. And even if I don't like crowds, I would just want to celebrate with you would have, uh, Tobias funked yourself. Oh, yeah, just blew myself everywhere. <laughs> and, uh... I, um, it's really cool for this city. It's like, it's, it's the biggest sports thing to happen since the early nineties. And, um, and no offense to those other sports teams that have won championships, but, um, it puts Toronto on the map and uh, even more so, right? Like I think and Toronto, I think kind of needed a win, you know, like it just, it had been so long and anything, just to remember what winning yeah. is. <laughs> right. And I, again, this is the first one, like, I don't remember the Blue Jays winning at all. Right. And then, um, even though we were alive and, uh, it's just cool to kind of see that firsthand. And, and, uh, uh, I'm so happy for people who care because like, I could only imagine how I would feel if the Leafs won the Stanley cup. It's like the one thing I've been dreaming about since I was a kid. And I just want that so bad for my dad as well. Cause it like, my dad was nine years old when the Leafs last won a Stanley cup. So he doesn't fucking remember that. I don't remember shit from when I was nine years old. So like, and I'm half his age. So, um, it's, uh, that's just something I want. And this gave me like a little glimpse of what that would be like and how cool that would be. Because like, as much as I kind of poke fun at like how I don't care about basketball, I'm mostly just like ribbing and like I'm just trying to be funny when I talk about 
two and a half men reruns are on Fox during the <laughs> during the game. Or but it like, also seemed like uh, it, they were going to lose there for for a second. Yeah. Just like, but what I did like, I mean, I I didn't really watch the games either, but just from you know people's Twitter feeds and what have you, um, the last two games specifically, everybody seemed to ha- be having a collective anxiety attack because they were so close. The game, yeah, and, and it's just, but, a- but I like that because it's actually involving you and 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 both teams seem to be playing their best. Yeah, and I mean Golden State had some injuries and things like that, but that's part of the game and and uh, yeah, I agree with you that it, it because it was close and I think because we're Toronto sports fans, we're just so used to getting the shit end of the stick or our teams kind of blowing it. Like it some things will look like the potential will be there that we're like, "Oh my god, it might actually happen." But then the Leafs will uh, let in three goals to the Boston Bruins in the last four minutes, and, and they fumble lose. that football, and then and then, <laughs> and then lose, uh, or we'll just somehow fuck it up. So I think people were so worried after we lost Game Five that like, oh my God, if we lose this game, like it's even, and we could lose, like we could blow this whole thing, right? So luckily they pulled it off. Uh, it was a crazy, crazy thing here in Toronto. I uh, watched it all from the news and outside of my window as you were doing your dishes uh, as i was doing dishes at one in the morning just because i wasn't going to be able to sleep yeah um, i mean you you posted some also some instagram stories and you could just hear the noise like i don't know how anybody you know who needed to go to work at 9 a.m that next morning got any sleep in the area because it was so loud yeah it was i mean once i closed the windows and the doors at like 2 a.m. It started to like at least my area down here. Like we're further west, right? So right. like I think right after the game, all the people who were watching in the bars and at the Drake Hotel and stuff around here all came outside, and that's why it was so loud here right after. And then I think most people went into the downtown core to kind of celebrate at either Young and Dundas or Front Street and things like that. So our area died off around maybe 2, 2.30, 3 a.m. with people honking their horns and partying outside. And then I'm not sure when the crowds kind of started to disperse in those areas. Like, right, when you have, like, 10,000 people in an area, when do they finally, like, who's the one who finally, oh, that guy left, and then people start following him, and then I don't know. Right. It's, and it's probably good in retrospect that they won, they didn't win here, because if they had won here, I think it probably would have gone until the next right. day. Like, yeah. it just seems like something that, like, because everybody was bracing for that win for, for game five, right? Yeah, and yeah. then it didn't happen. But if they had won on their home turf, I feel like it would have been even, even crazier. Because then you would have also had 20,000 people on top of that coming out of the arena. And then, yeah, everyone would have been here. And uh, Yeah, it's, it's, I always, it's a shame that they didn't win in Toronto just because like I hate when the visiting team all like it happened again St. Louis beat the Boston Bruins for the Stanley Cup uh uh the other night in game seven and that was in Boston I think yeah it was in Boston and it's just always not like because all the visiting fans kind of just like leave and it's like a half end empty arena as the like team celebrating and stuff like that so it's kind of like I'm sure it's it's great to win a trophy no matter where you are, but like it's always better to win it in front of your fans and stuff like that. And also, fuck you, Kyle. <laughs> oh, uh, just kidding. I love Kyle. I sent him a message after it happened, and Kyle is Eric's brother, and he's a Boston Bruins fan. And I was like, man, I could only imagine how crushed I would be if the Leafs were in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final and then lost. So, um, I mean, consolation for him, he, they won like 
seven years ago i think has it been that long i thought it was i thought it was only a couple years ago no i think it was 2011 um this is this is this is a movie podcast hey siri (laughs) when was the last time hey siri siri doesn't want to listen to me bitch (laughs) oh oh, matt Um, come on so anyways i'm kidding siri i love you uh, Kyle, I love you. That would have been soul crushing to me. I think it was in 2011, but or 2013. I forget one of those years. Um, but they've been successful. Boston wins too many trophies in general. So yeah, uh, and, I, and I also in just, all sports. And I just think that San Jose should probably win at some point because they have a shark as a logo. They a came stick. close. They always come close. They're like I just like that logo. I remember as a kid because I was a huge Jaws fan and seeing that logo, and I was like, I don't care about sports, but just buy me that jersey. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's how the um, the Raptors were kind of when they came into the league as well, right? And I'll get into that in one moment when we talk about what we've been watching. Uh, that was a long <laughs> kind of. Uh, uh, initial talk but if you guys didn't know this is the untitled movie <laughs> podcast uh each and every week eric and i get together we sometimes talk about movies and not uh sports uh we very rarely talk about sports actually we mostly talk about movies or at least whatever nonsense we've been up to in the last week or so uh you can get it each and every week on podcast services everywhere um if you like this uh we also do another podcast called the untitled movie reviews where surprise surprise eric and i get together and review a new release film whether it's upcoming, whether it's on a streaming service, or uh, whether it's now playing in theaters. Uh, We have a few new uh, reviews for you guys to go check out. We have a review for Dark Phoenix, uh, which you guys can go listen to, which we go in in depth into the funeral of the (laughs) X-Men. Guess what? It's just as exciting as an actual funeral. Yeah. Um, A funeral might be more entertaining. (laughs) Uh, Bad joke. Um, and then we also have a review up for God, it's been a bad couple weeks, uh, men in black international. So you guys can go check out that as well. So, um, and we also have reviews for book smart, Aladdin, some good stuff in there too, yeah. that are a little bit older. Oh, I wouldn't say uh, Aladdin's good, but yeah, but like, but I mean, comparatively, open. I would take Aladdin over. Yeah. And, and again, uh, just having, you know, men in black international open and it missing that spark and then seeing Aladdin, which isn't a good movie, but it has Will Smith who at least brings some charisma to that film. It's level. Those three movies are just like the, the three versions of those lazy sequels that you kind of, or remakes that you kind of get where like, I think Dark Phoenix is the worst of them and Aladdin is the quote unquote best of them. And then Men in Black somewhere in the middle of being bad <laughs> and like, and Aladdin well, is they're just, just lifeless. Like, it's just, it's, I mean. it, it becomes like the, the, the obvious default in, in criticizing these movies is that they're a product, but I really felt with Dark Phoenix, Aladdin to a certain extent, even though if I had to watch one of the three, it would be Aladdin. Um, and uh, Men in Black. Black. See, I'm already forgetting about it. Um, They do feel like they're just, you know, made by a factory, assembled, put together, shipped out, and there's really no thought that went into them other than like, okay, this is a brand name franchise that we have, and let's just make another one of these because we can, and the other ones have made money, and we'll just coast on that, and the quality reflects 
the product that is being released and it is the definition of a summer blockbuster that is just a soulless piece of movie marketing yeah and i think that's an interesting point and i mean we haven't done like a topic of the show in a little while and we'll get into what we've been watching but like for me it's it's you're starting to see people kind of turn against them which is a good thing i think like dark phoenix did not perform well men in black does not look like it's going to perform well and someone there was a stat recently sorry i didn't i i can't credit the person who tweeted this but i think it, they're like with if men in black is first this weekend which it looks like it's going to be which oh, hooray but it's only going to make 25 million dollars for the number one movie at the box office a big giant summer blockbuster and that's the number one movie this weekend it'll be like the third weekend in a row that a rotten movie on rotten tomatoes not saying rotten tomatoes is the end all be all but i think that's another conversation that we can have that's kind of interesting of like how film criticism has changed and how i mean you might live or die by your rotten tomatoes score now well yeah but the, how... i mean I, I think i've said this on the show as well before well the rotten tomatoes the the percentage rating is the new thumbs up yeah, right 100 percent. although with with siskel and ebert and 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 Ebert and Roper, um, at least it was specific to two critics, right? Well, this but, is a but it's like if you got the two thumbs up, that's something that they would put on, you know, the print ad. And or now the they do that with Rotten Tomatoes, exactly. And I I I I will argue for Rotten Tomatoes, where I don't think it's ruined criticism, and I actually do think it helps people kind of choose and give you an idea of what's going to be either good or bad. Um, it's not always perfect and it doesn't represent the quality of a film. If a movie is getting a 60% or a 99 or a hundred percent, it's a like, good I don't, filter. Like and, it's, it's yes. a good way to find a film critic or a voice that you're specifically looking for. Cause you can go on their website 100%. and type in, you know, a specific person or a and name kind of get an idea there. of what they like. And yeah, dislike. exactly. But then also if you're, it's just an aggregator, um, like just an idea of what you should go see this weekend and like something like Toy Story, which I'm going to get your impressions on uh, during the what we've been watching segment because I haven't seen it yet and we'll do an official review uh, for next weekend uh, once I have a chance to go see it. Um, but I think it, it's interesting, like Toy Story having 100 percent or um, something having a 30 percent doesn't mean that it's a three out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. It just means most people most critics suggest that you, the consensus it's, it's worth watching essentially. Right. right. And I think people get that messed up. Like, I don't think a movie that necessarily is a 60% versus something that's like a 90% necessarily means it's a six versus a nine. It just means like people are, it's a little bit more divisive on if it's worth watching or well, not. Especially in that gray zone or that middle where you get reviews that are like 2.5 out of five that sometimes do skew more positively in, in, in the rating or in the, middle or sometimes they they go the opposite in 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 the negative so those reviews sometimes can be um misleading where you know they can still be somewhat positive or negative depending on it but i don't know how uh rotten tomatoes so when tracks you, those. when you put in your review you as a critic you get to choose if you are giving it a rotten or a fresh thing and then you put your little quote in right so to me it's like a movie could be like a 99% fresh, but maybe everyone gave it a 6 out of 10. Right, exactly. Like, and all like those 6 out of 10s add up. To right? a to a, a fresh rating, right? Because it just it's a means, misleading representation yeah, of Yeah, so it just means everyone thought it was watchable. Right. It doesn't mean everyone thought it was great. Could you imagine like, that as the percentage? Yeah. It's watchable. 
Well, that's what's weird about Rotten Tomatoes is that, yeah, a movie could get a high 90s or an 80s because it's teetering on that, like, or even a movie that's in a, uh, a 60 or a 70 is like it's teetering on that line of like there are people who probably go, you know, what, it's middle of the road. Do I give it a fresh or a rotten? And it's just like it's kind of neither. Right. And then you, it ends up being like a. I think that's when you get those 60 percent movies. But then you see things like Men in Black and and um, Dark Phoenix that are in those low 20s to 30s range or even lower where it's just like the consent. It, and I think that's that kind of kills those movies too, right? Because the trailers haven't been great. And I think when those reviews come out in the week leading up to a release, there are those people who are going to be on the fence and the first place they're going to go is Rotten Tomatoes. And when they see a 30% on there, they're just going to be like, why the fuck would I bother with this thing? And then that's when you get a $25 million opening weekend. So I just think it's interesting that these movies are, uh, I think it plays a huge part into it. And then, even though you're saying they're made by a factory and just to make money. But I think we're starting to see that like quality still is important, at least when it comes to the actual content you're watching. It's another conversation when it comes to the experience that you're getting at the movies. But there's also just so much now that's available to you right. and at home and at the movies and, and the and options. Yeah. Have, have, you know, there, there are so many options that when you, when you hear that a uh, dark Phoenix or men in black spinoff is, is not doing that well and you check the Rotten Tomatoes score and then you see that it's uh you know in the in the low 50s to 30s and you kind of go well the theatrical window is a lot smaller I can just wait for this to come out on if iTunes I really want to watch it or stream yeah, it Yeah exactly and instead I can you know watch something that's on Netflix right now that I have that I've missed or I can that uh, I've already paid for Yeah or I can rent something else that's available so um that also does kind of hurt the uh, the film as well and 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 sometimes trailers in general we'll talk about this and we were talking about this before we were even recording you mentioned it that you know the Frozen trailer you were saying that you rewatched uh, those trailers after rewatching the movie and how um, lackluster those trailers God, were. they're so bad, man. And it's fascinating that that movie made a bazillion dollars. And like, I, I, I get that was more word of mouth and I think critic reviews because the trailer made it look like, and we've seen generic Disney movies, animated movies fail before and the marketing on Frozen. I remember when we saw Frozen was at the Disney preview event in 2003. 13 right yeah um uh and i remember not being excited for it at all because the trailers were so bad but i'm like you know what we're at lightbox love seeing the disney movies there when they preview movies for us and um like i'll stick around for this and i remember being fucking blown away just because like maybe i didn't read much about frozen or or how they were approaching it and all i saw were those two very dreamworks-esque disney trailers for frozen and please if you're listening to this go back and watch there's two trailers for frozen one is it your classic teaser that really focuses on olaf and is it sven the reindeer yeah um they call me sven and they don't show any human characters in it and it's just sven and the r2d2 and c3po yeah uh, imagine getting a star wars trailer and they just fucking show those two although i do like like r2d2 but out of context and for the first time it'd be kind of like what is this yeah and you're like is this movie about a snowman and a reindeer you're like what is this and then uh in a very generic title called frozen and then the second to be mixed up with the adam green movie yeah and then the second trailer is even worse where they don't show you 
any of the music. They don't really, the story looks very fucking paint by numbers and generic. And um, they even have like modern music. There's like a song. I forget what you would recognize the song that's in the trailer. So instead of showing like any of the music, they saved Let It Go for that's what I mean. But that might not be a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. That's what I mean. But I think there's a Disney, you can see how they're marketing, and I, the marketing can be. I mean, I work in marketing to be transparent and like, I'll, I think good marketing can be both entertaining and serve a purpose. And I think marketing can also be awful and like enforced and, 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 and gross at times too. Um, and Disney has gotten better in the way that they market their movies. Like even if you look at early Marvel trailers versus the stuff that they're doing now, and they're trying to protect that experience for, when you sit down in a theater, which I think is actually a great way to market these things. It gets you excited. And I mean, you're in the game of sequels and franchises. So, I mean, they don't really have to do much to sell you on a lot of this stuff anyway, because they do know that you will probably go see it. So that way they can save a lot of those surprises and experiences for the theater. Um, Then you get something like Men in Black. That's just like everything you saw in the trailer pretty much is what that movie is, right? Yeah, um, and it's unfortunate. Um, But anyways, go check out that review. Eric and I complain, surprise, surprise, again about how the projection and everything was, which I really do think affects... Yeah, it doesn't affect our review of the film. I mean, the the movie is mediocre. Experience, Experience, yeah, and 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 you just... Like I, I think I'm not as forgiving when right. I'm pissed off at how it's being shown to me. Like, and I get frustrated I, with it yeah. too. And and I and I want it to, like this. I and I'll and I'll talk about it on, uh, or w- we talked about it on the actual review. But I'm gonna say it here as well. Um, this was the first screening in a very long time that felt like a job. It was a job. I was just there to do work it didn't feel like i was going to a movie i was i was having fun and usually with most press screenings even the bad movies i always enjoy just having the chance to see something ahead of time and just to you know talk colleagues and yeah yeah and and, and just have the overall experience of seeing a movie and 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 we always go in with an open mind that's not saying either that like we go in just dreading something and we know we're going to give it a bad review yeah but with this i questioned my career <laughs> i agree i and i'm with you dude like after dark phoenix and men in black back to back i really just felt like and again that's why i don't think i've seen some of the i'm even getting more and more i i'm, I'm gonna be curious at the end of the year to look at my letterboxed uh like totals and stuff like that and tiff always jacks it up and like and there i go through phases of watching a shit ton and then watching nothing at all in the summer i usually slow down because i do go outside with my fiance now um uh, quite often and i don't just sit inside and watch movies i think i do that during the winter mostly but um it'll be interesting because like i'm finding like even for me like i'm and we talk about this in every week i don't know if you guys are either sick of it or you like when we talk about how awful the cinematic experience is most of the time but i just skip a lot of things now and that goes back to the rotten tomatoes conversation that we were having of like if something And I hear this in other podcasts and other mediums and people talk about this too. And I think that's just everything in general. The middle ground has just kind of been knocked out, right? Because you either, there's so much content there's so much stuff out there that if something you don't, if you hear that something's not excellent, it's like, eh. I can just wait for it because it'll be on, it'll be available to stream in less than a month. Right. 
Um, so that's what I'm finding now, like with movies that people either go, I was fine or it was okay or anything like that. I'm like, okay, that means I don't really need to go suffer through (laughs) sitting in a fucking multiplex to watch this shit. And I, I hate sounding like I'm this fucking bougie, high and mighty, like everything needs to be pristine. But like, again, with prices, how they are with movies, if you're spending fucking $15 or more upwards of 20 to $25, if you're going to see a movie in IMAX or VIP or something like that, I, I was looking at two tickets to go see Toy Story 4 because I missed this, the premiere the other night because I had a stomach bug or I ate something bad. Um, Taco Bell. I didn't have Taco Bell, surprisingly, but... um. It was like I wanted to go see it in VIP just because, again, I'm like, okay, that means I don't have to – no offense to children. I'm glad that they'll really enjoy Toy Story 4. Oh, as an, they're going to be terrified As an, a, an adult, I'd just rather avoid that. So, oh, it's playing in VIP. Great. Try to get two tickets for Nevis and I um, for Thursday. And it was like $52 for two tickets in VIP. And I'm like, ah, man, I want to see Toy Story really bad, but like $52. Two dollars, and you know that like, there's not going to be proper masking, uh, right? Yeah, and oh no, they're in the VIP theaters are all floating screens and and that bullshit that they installed. Like, oh god, the digital. I hate sounding like this guy too, because like I I embraced our digital future and digital projection. our digital or- overlords. Yeah, like <laughs> digital projection. I was one of the first people, and you know me. Like I'm always the first to kind of embrace new tech and stuff like that. So like I was open to it. Like I love when things are on film, but I know from a practical standpoint that that didn't make sense anymore, right? And I was fine with it. Yeah, the look changed, but I mean, you can get a good picture out of digital projection. We've talked about this before. Um, but what came with that was uh, when they installed all these 3D screens, and I think 3D was the death of all of this to me, and, and I've bitched about 3D for 10 years now. Um, they installed these floating screens because of this, and they had to have a new, they had to install all these new screens for these 3D projectors. And... Um, that means they took down the old screens and, and built these new floating screens, which um, had no masking, which ruined a lot of that, too. So anyways, um, every week we have we should just call this a new segment, you know, <laughs> like Matt and Eric bitch about something at the movie theaters. And I, I, I wonder sometimes if it's just me, if I'm too sensitive, but um, which I'm sure is partly it. Yeah. Um, but no, but, I, I think there's a certain expectation of you pay fifty two dollars to go and see a movie that's two tickets that's only two tickets in the VIP um and the very least that you could get out of it is having a quality projection sound masking and then also you know people that are also there respecting each other's own experiences mm-hmm. and not being disruptive and obnoxious and to have both of those things skewed or ruined yeah. On top of like if it's a mediocre movie, like it, it, all those factors come into play to making you think, well, yeah, I'd rather just stay home at that like, point. Like I don't get why I'm like, do I have bad luck? Am I overly sensitive? Um cuz I always feel like you know now, like I think each time we see this sounds bad too, but like the more you pay for a movie, I think the less likely you are to run into some of the problems with the audience too because the more money someone pays, the more they actually hopefully want to pay attention to the movie. Um, and I find a lot at those free screenings that we go to, um, 
for press reasons um, are filled with a lot of people who got free tickets. Yeah. And they're usually based on like uh, contests, contests or, on radios or websites or whatever. And have I you. just feel like because it's a free thing and it, like, I, I don't know, I've always have to tell people to stop talking. Phone usage is usually not bad because there are people to enforce that and tell them not to use their Yeah, because they're using security yeah. equipment. So that's usually pretty good. But then you get people who are talking. And again, during Men in Black, I had to ask some of the people behind us to stop talking, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and this has happened I more just, than once. We talked about this on the uh, Creed 2 uh, review as well. Yeah. Um, and there's been several times where you have been very polite about it, stern but polite and asking you know, someone to be quiet. Oh, also Avengers Endgame, where I, I almost feel that sometimes people don't realize they're doing it now. I know. The people who, during Men in Black, did, I think, say, oh, I'm sorry, and then stopped for the most part. They did talk a little bit for the rest of the movie. Yeah, because like, they're, they're they're basically interacting with the movie, and they're talking to their either their significant other or their buddy. Um, and they think they're being quiet, but they don't realize yeah. that. Like, and it's almost like they're treating it like it is an experience at home. Like and on, to, on to couch, what you're yeah. saying, like it's it's a free ticket, so they don't maybe feel the obligation to be respectful to other people, or at least that yeah. they don't have to. Like they did, they didn't pay for it, so it means nothing to them. Exactly. It's like someone going to college for free. Yeah, I, I get it, and that's why I'm like, okay, when you start to pay IMAX movie prices or VIP, you get a little bit less than that. But VIP, you run the risk of like people being on a date and stuff like that too, or or just people think that like, I don't mind. You can whisper to your partner or whoever you're with like once in a while. Like there are times that during a movie where I have a joke that I need to whisper to you. <laughs> so I do it because I'm like, I can't wait till after the movie because I'm going to forget about it. Um, but you get like one or two strikes, man. But anyways, we, we literally should do another podcast. that's just us complaining about things because right. uh, I'm sure people are sick of it or they like it. I don't know. Who knows? Um, well, let us know. Like, you know, tweet at us or, or, uh, send us an email and let us know if you like hearing us be or old, do you guys experience men. this stuff too yeah like, like I, I would like to know like that, that there are other people out there that are having these experiences where you know they pay for uh, uh to, to see a movie and have the great experience of, of watching something with other people and then it kind of being ruined either by other participants or patrons or just uh, the quality of the theater but I do hear it like even the podcast that I listen to people go on tangents about either the audience members that sat beside them or the projection issues. So I do hear it. And I think some of the people that I know listen to this podcast, I have heard them in other screenings, tell people to be quiet or, or have messaged me and been like, Oh, I'm glad that you guys talk about this shit. Cause no one else does. Um, there are some people, Matt Singer, I think wrote a great article maybe a year or two ago about masking, which really kind of opened my eyes that this was a giant problem everywhere. I think it was Matt Singer. Um, but um, anyways, dude, we could go on forever about this. But check out our reviews of Men in Black, uh, Dark Phoenix, as well as Aladdin, uh, Booksmart, a bunch of stuff up there. And then we'll have a review for Toy Story 4 uh, on or around its release weekend because I do need to check it out on the Thursday night now. Uh, but speaking of that, Eric, let's go into what you've been watching. You did see Toy Story 4. I sure did. Uh, the embargo is up. Hashtag so you, Forky Forever. Uh, so you can talk about it. I can. Um, let's, don't spoil anything. I just want to get your initial kind of impressions and then next week... Woody we can, dies at the end. Oh, God damn it. Where <laughs> <laughs> um, Woody becomes a mass murderer. Um, he was kind of an asshole and a psychopath in the first one, but um, right. we did 
talk about the original trilogy last week because uh, I rewatched them. You rewatched the third one. Um, so what did you think, initial impressions, and then next week we will go into a full review. Okay. I liked it a lot. I think it's really good. Um, it's a kind of sequel where you get to hang out with your friends again that you haven't seen for a little while because... The thing I keep forgetting about is that Toy Story three was was basically almost ten years ago. That's uh, crazy, now, right? <laughs> I know, and 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 this is the I, I'd say quintessential Pixar franchise. This is the thing that started live yep. action C or not live action CGI. <laughs> oh, when are they going to make a live action Toy oh, Story? Oh God, they will. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> And it'll just be the actual cast that did the voices coming in dressed up as their characters from the film. But it, yeah, it's the first CGI animated film and it was a big deal and there's a certain amount of nostalgia. But I feel that they ended it so perfectly with Toy Story 3 Agreed. that they really had to pull out the big guns to make this thing work or have a story that is worthy to continue on. It's good. It's worth seeing. There are great scenes with Woody and Bo Peep. Um, there's a kind of a bit of a rekindling of their friendship and romance. Um, there's some great action pieces. Sometimes it feels like there are two or three story ideas that are competing against one another. I know like um, when Rashida Jones was on board, she was trying to make it more of a, a kind of like a, a romantic comedy. But there are scenes in this that Andrew Stanton um, is is one of the the head writers on this one where it feels like you're watching um, John Carter of Mars. John Carter. No, well, no, no. <laughs> one of the one of the Toy Story shorts I know, yeah. where it's more action oriented and it's sort of like having fun with the set pieces. There's there's a lot that takes place in a antiques uh shop and and there's some creepy stuff with uh these Benson uh ventriloquist dummies that will scare both children and adults <laughs> equally. I was terrified okay, by it wow. and I'm a grown man. That sounds cool. Um and you know again like Keanu Reeves is Duke Kaboom, the greatest Canadian, Canadian. stuntman is a lot of fun. Um and and it's worth checking out and you'll enjoy it, but I just also feel that this very much is a footnote yeah epilogue yeah and we we talked already about how like dark phoenix felt like you know just an obligation this is an obligation as well weirdly but it's the obligation you want and i really do like it's almost like the best possible scenario yeah from... but there are some other things that we can talk about as well when we get into uh the review revolving around forky but i will say this um i don't know if pixar is able to handle um, physical and mental disabilities, and it yeah. comes off a little cringy to begin with with Forky and sort okay. of how they handle that. Yeah. And and you'll know what I think. I think you'll know what I'm talking about when 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 you see it. Um, but they do find their stride once it becomes a road trip and yeah. and it becomes sort of like you know the toys are hanging out at a carnival and stuff like that. But yeah. Oh, and 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 Keen Peel are amazing. Are they are, just Keen Peel? Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. Like it's literally like they just let them do their thing. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's almost like they wrote around them. So it's like you come in for a day. You're playing these characters. They show them. This is what the you're design. doing in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's you know the PG friendly version of of Keen Peel, but it still works and it's still funny. And there's a there's a great moment in there as well that really is a highlight in the film with their characters and. Again, like you feel warm inside, and 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 it's, it's so inviting to watch this movie. And I will take this any day of the week over some of their 
uh, more recent sequels with the exception of Incredibles 2, which I also really liked a lot. But it feels like this... Like if you if this movie did not exist, I would I would still be okay with what we have. Yeah. And compared to the trilogy, it's not as good, um, but it's perfectly enjoyable. Well, you're comparing it to three almost perfect movies. Yes. Right? Yeah. And this is a solid, well made Pixar film, but it's not a masterwork. That's fair. But it's still um, great. Like I'm, I'm, ex- I'm still going to give it four stars. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Oh. But. Now you don't even have to listen to our review. Yeah. Actually, if you want to hear how, what I think of it. Um, yeah, dude. I, I think even I think it's coming at the perfect time right now, too, after three or four weeks of like very middling movies that have just kind of fizzled out. So I think I'm like I'm really looking forward to uh, something that's at least enjoyable because <laughs> I've just been. Uh, and that's know, what the, this yeah. is like. This is like this will be the film that will hopefully pick you up a little bit after uh the disappointments of dark phoenix and men in black and be kind of like the thing that kind of recharges you and gives you that second win for the summer mm-hmm. um and yeah and again like a lot of the characters are a lot of fun to hang out with there's a lot of really solid uh moments throughout the movie uh it's it's well directed josh cooley who this is his first uh film he's worked with pixar in the art department and 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 stuff like that so it's interesting that they gave somebody you know a, a that has never really done anything in terms of, you know, helming a movie, yeah. this huge property and this huge franchise in the Pixar uh, universe. And uh, I mean, going forward, I, I don't know if they will continue or not, but it feels like now they've opened up new possibilities. Interesting. Yeah. We'll see. I'm excited to see it. I'm going to catch it this week. Um, it'll be something I f- make sure to go see like night one. Cause I, I really do cherish that franchise. And although I do agree with you that it does feel unnecessary, much like a lot of the legacy sequels and sequels that we're getting lately. But as long as it's enjoyable, whereas the other movies we've been talking about recently have just not been at all. um, I'm okay with that. And, if it's fun and it's remember it's a kids movie too, yeah right? and there's some again there's some adult stuff in there not just with the scary oh, with pixar i always dolls like, but there's yeah. like the question of like you know what how a doll or a toy is defined as a toy yeah and you like the whole thing with forky is like he's having this existential crisis that he's not supposed to be a toy yeah and it's kind of interesting because i i, I think it will go well, it goes over back the to the first movie too right kids like, yeah. yeah and and again like you're like you mentioned how woody in the first one becomes kind of like this control freak slash domineering alpha toy but even buzz had to come to terms that he was a toy too. yeah yeah and 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 that's kind of what it's repeating again but it's doing it in a more kinder way or a get, more yeah. more adult way and like you've matured over these three other yeah. films uh, and you've grown up with this franchise too right so yeah. it is probably catering to those people who were young like us when the first movie came out but who are now adults when this when this one comes out. So I'm excited for it. So uh, looking forward to that. You also watched a couple other things this week or yeah, I mean, I, we're I, recording pretty close to the last episode. So yeah. Uh, so I didn't watch 22 movies between right. this, <laughs> yeah. uh, the last episode and this episode. So I also rewatched men in black okay. uh, on 4k and um, I still really enjoy that movie a lot. I remember as a kid being obsessed with it and, and Will Smith was like one of my heroes and, and um, like having like a, a, a yeah, do not, we got to talk about do not is amazing in it. Yeah. I don't know what planet D'Onofrio is on in giving yeah. this performance in the in the Edgar suit and as this roach, but it is amazing. And 
I mean, since then, with the other sequels, there has been no other actor to give a great villain performance in this series, even though there's been good actors in villain roles. But also just the the Rick Baker makeup, the practical applications of it were terrifying. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember the first time seeing that. When he stretches his face Oh, my God, yes. Like, Like, I was... I, I remember even in the... When they had that in the trailer, I couldn't see it as a kid. Like, I was terrified about it but the way that he moves the way that um he's continually decomposing throughout the entire movie even weirdly reminded me of griffin dunn in uh, american werewolf in london where like every time you see him he's even more gross than before yeah uh and there's one scene like in particular uh where you know he kills uh two individuals uh, having uh, lunch and he puts like cockroaches on their on their their food and it's just so disgusting so weird and but it's also perfectly comedic like I love when he is in the suit to begin with and he's trying to feel himself out and he asks for sugar water yeah sugar uh, in yeah water. <laughs> and then um the woman or the man being folded in half under the uh I think that's in this, right? Behind yeah. the desk or whatever. I remember being terrified of that. Yeah. And then too. David Cross having that one oh, cameo yeah. at the morgue as well. And um, yeah, it's 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 a really good movie, but it also was a film that wasn't afraid to be gross at times and weird. And, and, weird and, and that's what's lost in Men in Black International. And you can really feel it. Like the scene that I love the most that they kind of just gloss over in Men in Black International is the scene where Jay is brought into basic training and to take the uh the written tests like the scene of him just pulling that table sorry so in the original minimum yeah yes so you said international well no no i'm saying compared to international yeah got you so this is what it's missing so international has a sequence where tessa thompson is being uh brought into feels very rushed yeah where with smith like there's the scene where he's taking uh the written test and he pulls that giant table close to those weird uncomfortable looking chairs and in that moment like he breaks his pencil as well and it's just like it takes the time to do some really idiosyncratic little things or when he kills um when he's doing the, the 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 shooting, like the testing, like to fire at aliens in like a oh, and the, public place, and, and he he's shoots like, the girl. He's like, and, you don't know she's in. Yeah, the- yeah. Like, look at the book she's reading, and like stuff like that, or like even when um, he's ultimately uh, accepted in, and and Tommy Lee Jones gives him the first time that the Men in Black really made contact with anybody, and I love the first thing that with the young K. All right, apologies again. I don't know. I think the real men in black interrupted us. Oh, yeah, I know. They're on to us, man. I don't know what the fuck is happening today. Sorry for the technical issues, everyone. It's been Eric's monitoring um, the recording over my shoulder because it's behind me, and um, something keeps happening where I hope it doesn't happen again. I'm keeping a watchful eye. I'm on it, Matt. This hasn't happened before, which is very weird. No, but it might just be because we have... uh, it might be full storage at this point or capacity yeah, I, you were I had like 20 some gigs left on this computer so I, I closed some programs thinking that maybe it was trying to process too much at once or something like that but um, we've recorded on this computer like multiple times yeah so, and we uh, really haven't had any issues that came to you know stopping and starting over and over again yeah it's very weird but apologies Eric was talking about um, uh, Men in Black 4K, Men in Black 4K which is looks good 
still a really fun movie. Um, and and again, I think it's a generational thing as well. Like having you know uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones bounce off of each other and their right. personality types, and it's just an odd couple kind of chemistry that works perfectly. And again, like I just love Will Smith in the '90s, and that was kind of like. A, a great fun film that was i mean a, a friend of ours stefan ellison kind of put it really well that it was the ghostbusters of the 90s okay in in a lot of ways like it felt like almost like ivan reitman tried to make his version of that with elevation with, yeah. in 2001 or two evolution yeah. evolution yeah um yeah i get that i don't think the popularity maybe matched but um maybe i'm just thinking of ghostbusters being this giant thing that transcends like those first two movies, but, um, but yeah, man, I watched it in 4k last year, I think. And yeah, I really, I still enjoy the, that initial trilogy. The second one's not very good, but, um, it's still sort of fun. Yeah. And then, um, and then the third one is kind of forgettable. I but. like the third one though, but it almost feels like it's, you're watching an extended TV pilot or like an episode of, of it. And I feel like almost what they should have done with that series is that they should have had the first film and the first film was, was a monster hit, but they should have continued it as like a, a series spinoff because it would have been interesting just to sort of go in the world of Men in Black. I do agree that it because could they work, had the cartoon and it could work as like a streaming service show. I yeah. think that almost would work better. Yeah, than what they've done with it. And the cartoon series was actually pretty solid as well. I do remember it a little bit, but I haven't. Oh God, I haven't watched it and I haven't seen anything from it in ages. Um, what else have you been watching? Anything? Oh, uh, that's not uh, unsolved uh, mysteries. Unsolved mysteries. Said? I continue to watch Robert Stack talk about a series of. Uh, sort of almost uh, America's Most Wanted-esque segments that sort of deal with everything from lost heirs to people going missing to uh, felons escaping. They did a whole segment on um, Alcatraz or a whole episode on Alcatraz, um, which was uh, three people, the three people that escaped Alcatraz, quote unquote, because they were their bodies were never found and they were never captured again. And it was the basis of the, the Clint Eastwood movie as well, Escape okay. from Alcatraz, um, which is fun. And, it, and it's this weird, you know, like enjoyable going down memory lane. And even though like a lot of the stories are depressing and somewhat sad, um, there's something about going back and watching these uh, episodes in this show that are kind of fun. And we were talking about this before that this and also, um, what was it called? Beyond Belief with Jonathan Frank seem to be getting this kind of resurgence in a kind of meme kind of way. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Like, because Unsolved's coming back on Netflix and then the other show you mentioned, what's it called? Uh, Beyond Belief. Beyond Belief. There's Factor a, Fiction. Yeah, there's a meme going around. Well, there's <laughs> two. There's yeah. two of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. You guys should go. Uh, I think I retweeted one of them and made fun of Nevis in, in one of them because she... It's the one where Jonathan Franks has listing. a bunch of questions <laughs> yeah. and it's just a super cut of that. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, for me, I talked a little bit about... We talked about the Raptors and the St. Louis Blues, so I've been watching hockey and basketball because those are kind of uh finishing well they already just finished so i don't need to go into that anymore uh haven't been watching all that much i did watch um the carter effect um which i thought i mean going off of the raptors win was the perfect time to watch that movie and he's actually Um, played one-on-one against a raptor yeah (laughs) i'm like what (laughs) what are you talking about right now um uh yeah commercially did did he okay i don't remember it um uh, Vince Carter, I was again. I mentioned this earlier on the show. I was like, uh, I I was in the Vince Carter hype era, and um, I had a Carter jersey and Tracy McGrady shoes, and um, 
wanted a pair of Nike shocks because Vince Carter was the guy kind of making those popular here in Toronto. And so it was a, it was a it premiered at TIFF two or three years ago. Um, and I heard good things. And I think if you're a Torontonian, you'll get a lot of, out of it. Like if you grew up in this area and you had any kind of affinity to the Raptors or Vince Carter from the nineties and the early two thousands, I think you'll get a lot out of this. And I think now is the time to watch this movie. I mean, if you guys followed along with the Raptors run and you followed along with their championship win the other night, I watched it the day after the Raptors won the NBA championship. And I thought it was the perfect time to watch it. And it was very emotional and it kind of showed you how much the Raptors mean to this country and how much Vince Carter means to this country of making basketball popular here again, after it was invented here a long, long time ago, but eventually went away and um, the Canadian heritage moment. Yeah. And then it's, it was really cool, man. Like it's, it's, nothing crazy but like i i like him enough as a personality and he is still playing in the nba really he will be the first player ever he said next season is his last season and he he will be the first player to ever play in four decades because he'll play in the 90s the 2000s the 2010s and now the 2020s how old is he he's got to be in his like either very late 30s or early 40s hey siri how old is Vince Carter? Vince Carter currently plays the position of shooting guard for the He's Hawks. 42. 42. Um, I, was, I thought he was older just because maybe... He started when he was 18, though, yeah. right? And so, we've known him for... Since he was so, 18. Yeah. So um, it makes sense, but 42 is old for basketball. And well, it's like hockey been, players, too, yeah, right? Like, like in he, your mid-30s, you're starting to... Like even your early 30s, you're starting to become like the old guy on the team or whatever, right? So for him to be 42... Like I would love if the Raptors just signed him to be a bench player next season for his final season and the, the season after they win the championship and stuff like that. Um I think that would be really, really cool. But I know he'll do the thing where a lot of the times players will sign a one-day contract to retire with the team that they're most famously played for and things like that. So you retire as a Raptor or whatever. Um, and then he'll probably become like a sports announcer or something or probably, do like commentary. Yeah. Or... It may be probably in Toronto. Like yeah. he means a lot to the city, right? So uh, Chris Bosch has already started to do that for um, TSN and things like that too. And, and uh, it... It, it was a really cool documentary to watch the day after the Raptors like it, it, it win. Like, I don't think it's crazy. And if you live through this time, you probably know a lot of the information. But, like, I think it's very well put together. Um, Drake is featured a lot. His music's featured a lot because he produced it or, or at least executive produced it. And uh, and I didn't realize LeBron James actually produced it as well. And um, it's, uh, it's slick. It's shot in 239. Like, um, it's... Uh, again, it, it, and if you're from this city, it made me very proud to be from this city, and it was the perfect time to watch it. So I enjoyed it a lot. And I, where did you I watch it? Netflix Canada. Netflix so Canada. Uh, it's available on there. I think it's uh, the perfect thing if you don't want to watch Jurassic Park or Space Jam to celebrate. Like all three of those movies are on Netflix. So um, it was uh, it was the perfect thing to watch. And then I also. I also watched Under the Silver Lake. So after you talked about it last week, uh, I've been meaning to, and I think you forced my hand a little bit. So um, I watched it, uh, I guess, on Tuesday or Wednesday night. Um, And I, dude, I dug it a lot, man. Like, I agree with everything you said last week in the sense that um, there are some moments that felt a little, maybe juvenile is too much of a negative word, but like, 
Um, some things where it felt like at times it had the mentality of like a teenager or something like that, where like something a teenager would think is really cool and not to shit on teenagers. Cause like you were mentioning and I would be in the same boat with you if I was like between 13 and 18 or something. Yeah. I'd like it's almost like, like it, I, I think I like it a little bit more like just because it's, it's still fresh, but it almost falls into that category of like a fight club, Donnie Darko kind of thing where you, yeah. the first time you see it. Or if you don't have the knowledge of the genre it's specifically riffing on, you'll find this thing to be a revelation and yeah. it'll be like the greatest movie ever made. But when you start to realize what it is referencing and what it is sort of playing on, then you start to realize, okay, well, it's not it, it's not the the greatest version of that, but it's it's still fun and it it's is, still enjoyable. Yeah. And, and it's I think very individual much a, scenes are great. And it's very much a matte movie. Like, I think you said this. You're like, oh, I think you'll really like it. And there are elements in there that are, I'm like, fuck, this seems like a movie I would have made, like, if I made a movie right out of film school or something yeah. like that. And I made right? the joke last week and that it is the uh, the greatest video game movie Yeah, there's ever some made. great stuff in there where I'm like, fuck, this movie is playing into like a lot of my... Uh, it's very much my shit is, is what I'm trying to say. And um, while there are times where I'm like, oh, that's a little too much or that's a little on the nose or something like that, that but I could kind of forgive it because I like how stylish it is and he is playing in a bunch of different genres and he's taking elements from obviously things that he loves but i love and i was very much in the mindset for this movie too um i was partaking in a little bit of um a very legal activity in canada now and i think that is the perfect way to watch this movie like i was in the same mindset as the lead character for right. a lot of this and and, and i also feel again like you know, coming from a 30-year-old a, a point of view, the most harrowing situation in the film for me was, is he going to pay his rent on time? Like, yeah. I, that was the thing I was most concerned about for his well-being. Right. But also, I mean, he, the Andrew Garfield character is also kind of a dick, so you don't necessarily mind uh, when not horrible things happen to him, but when, you know, he's in a situation that involves him either being You're punched not, or... not very sympathetic. No, no, especially, saying. like, when you see the first moment of that, I think, is when those kids key his car, and he beats oh the my shit God. out of the I one I remember kid. being like, holy fuck. I'm like, okay. And, yeah, he's not a good person, and, like... It, Again, like you said, how the movie objectifies women, although it is coming from his point of view, and that goes back. And he to doesn't him, even really. A... And this is the point of the movie, but like he doesn't really even know Riley Keough's character that well. Like he's just infatuated with her, and it's just it, it becomes something else, obviously. But but I mean, he's just a leery person. Yeah, like it, it shows that in the opening scene in the diner or the coffee shop. It shows that with the the naked woman across the balcony from him yeah the rear like, uh, window yeah moment, like he's yeah. just leering on people because he's just a, a, like a horny stoner <laughs> like yeah and um and he's a, a not a yeah he's kind of a deadbeat but like i don't know i kind of like that and i like he falls into this mystery and like and it plays in a lot of noir tropes and i like that it twists them on their head of like they're very obvious noir tropes but i liked the kind of um uh, deadpan comedy in it in the sense of like he is just like a 2019 stoner that's playing in this this noir movie where he oh like, he's, a, he's a hipster like, he's yeah. a hipster detective yeah and it's so funny like a lot of those moments are very funny because it's very stylized it's very playing up the noir aspect but then he's just like have you seen this girl <laughs> and then he's like 
I'll give you five dollars if you give her my number. No, and no, that was like, that was the guy. Uh, he sorry, wore, he was just trying to get the phone number for the guy who wrote the Under the Silver Lake comic. Yeah, so yeah, the Patrick Flesher thing. character who yeah. is in Mulholland Drive is the guy who sees uh, the woman All behind the, clues, the dumpster. Yeah. yeah, and like he's seeing and I being stoned watching it is like. All of that stuff is heightened, obviously. Well, the owl like, stuff in particular the is stuff frightening. Is fucking awesome, and like even when it's playing with the clues and he's starting to figure it all out. If you're inebriated like I was, you're like, "Holy fuck, he's I, right!" I almost wanted and, like, them to cut in the scene at the very end of. Do you remember um, J.K. Simmons in Burn After Reading when it's like he looks at the the debriefing and he's like, "What the fuck was this all <laughs> yeah. about?" Like, yeah, that would have been good if he he kind of winked at the audience, like, "Yeah, I know this is dumb and like I'm just messing." But he didn't mind the like, ending either. I actually kind of thought about that it was funny. You. Yeah, I want to talk it about it, talk about it with you after. Like, we won't spoil it on here because yeah. I do think people should watch this, and I I do think it kind of got it's up, visually nice too. Like I think Michael Giolakis, really well, yeah. who shot. Um, I mentioned this on the last episode, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Split in Glass, and he also did It Follows. Um, it, it looks great, and it's just unfortunate that it didn't get a traditional theatrical release, because I think it would have been a great immersive experience, and maybe I would have liked it even more watching it on a big screen. Mm-hmm. And I do hope it becomes kind of a cult classic, because I do think it has that kind of vibe, and I do think it is a stoner movie, and I, I, I do think, and stoner movies tend to be teenage boys movies too (laughs) so um but i do i do recommend it i thought it was thoroughly enjoyable although like it's not perfect and there are some like cringy moments that are a little bit too much and you Um, could you could i mean some people could argue that it is part of of the genre being of you know neo-noir film noir and also being from the point of view of this kind of male that doesn't really consider anything but himself yeah but it is kind of a little much when you hear you know the the barking of a dog being synced to you know a woman's voice or or the mouth and in sort of the dubbing um a couple of times i can get that of just like him obsessing with this dog killer and things like that and like and and him just being spaced out all the time and that's all he can think about are these like subliminal hidden messages and everything and how it plays into the dog killer and and, and stuff like that but and how he's unrivaling so i i but i i do get what but you're part saying. of it is yeah. also like all those things feel like some of them are misleading on purpose like it's all red herrings right like even like when you see on uh the ground in chalk beware the dog killer yeah. and stuff like that like it almost feels like all these things are iconography for the film that you could put on a movie poster or they would be a great design for the blu-ray or something like that that would be like a nice little sort of uh in joker or or reference for people that really love the film that will see it you know three or four times and obsess over it the way that he's obsessing over and the i think mystery. there are i i'd be curious because like i do love that kind of stuff though like the meta element to two things and like um it goes back to my days of lost of playing those like alternate reality games of like leading into the clues of the dharma initiative and things like that like i i, I understand when i was younger i was really into that stuff so i could see like you were saying if you were uh, like obsessing over like what he's saying in the movie and then trying to find hidden messages that he, he might have left in this movie even as well. And yeah, like, and the thing that and, he's looking for, like with the Dharma Initiative, like at least, you know, those characters are kind of aware of what's going on or trying to look for, solve yeah. the mystery. The mystery that he falls into isn't the one that he was expecting to fall into, which I kind of find funny as well. Mm-hmm. No, I, I really, really enjoyed it, man. Like I think it's, one of my favorite movies of the year um and i just i i think it's a a perfect thing that i just kind of put on um again i was in the right 
headspace for it. Um, but I, I definitely think I suggest that's how you should watch it. I if, thought of you with the cereal box as well. That the whole movie, I thought of myself a lot, which is probably not a great thing, other than the objectifying women thing. Right. Uh, uh, but and you oh, pay your rent. I do pay my rent. I am way more responsible than he is. Like, yeah. Um, but there are elements in there where I'm like, oh man, like I would. This is a movie that I would write in like a heightened, weird reality about, like if I was basing someone like sort of off of me, but like a shittier version of me. And I get that that's probably what he did as well. And uh, yeah, the serious yeah, David stuff Robert that, Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, David Robert Mitchell. Yeah. Um, and the serial stuff that like I could tell I'm like, oh, I'd probably be friends with David Robert Mitchell because right. like, in integrating the Nintendo Power stuff and like the Super Nintendo stuff, Topher Grace. Uh, <laughs> he is. Um, he, uh, but he makes Andrew Garfield a, look like yeah. a decent person. <laughs> yeah. He's such a scumbag in this and uh, his fucking fedora or whatever he's wearing and his beard. Yeah. Um, and Jimmy Simpson and uh, uh, Grace Van Patten, who plays the balloon girl, who um, I remember her from um, or the last thing that I saw her in was uh, uh, the Merowitz stories. She yeah. was Adam Sandler's daughter. Right. Dude, I that made me feel old as well when they go down to the crypt and they're like, let's go listen to some old music and it's like late nineties music, yeah. like White Town and um oh, what was the other song? But I like this playing? weird reality that he creates here, right? Or this right. LA scene that we might not know about, but that's there. Or even him going to this party and he's just like a schlub, but everyone knows him. So like you don't even really know what he does in the movie, right? Like Yeah, because he like everybody like he had a nice Mustang, so maybe he's like a writer or something right. like that. And or... there were times where it's like, Oh, how's work going? And yeah. he says, Oh, well, everybody wants wants to talk about work so you don't yeah. really necessarily know what he does for a living but he's in that la scene and he like it, it i got the impression that he worked in the industry because he was going to these industry parties and stuff like that too right right but you don't and, know necessarily what he does specifically like yeah. they never really say but probably from his look and where he is living he is a writer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh i really dug it man i highly highly suggest it you might not it might not be your thing. No, but you, you say highly suggested. Yeah, I do highly suggest it. Uh, uh, focus on the highly. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I've been watching. Oh, and there's also a shot um, in the water that's beautiful and disturbing at the same time. I'm trying to think of the one that you're talking about. Again, I forget. I'm, I'm, I'm motioning to Matt with we'll something happening when, when he goes into the water yeah. about halfway through. And right. then... We'll talk He's after. with somebody, right? I'll, we'll talk about it okay. after. I, it's the poster. There. Oh, okay. Just... Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. That is a gorgeous shot, and I do really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Check it out on Amazon Prime Video, and, and it also and, uh, is uh, available on Blu-ray now. Okay. They just cool. released well, it this week. Great segue. Uh, staying at home, Eric. What do you suggest people pick up? Well, I've got a few so, things. So, uh, are you going to pick this up on Blu-ray? You yeah. Think? Uh, yeah. Under the Silver Lake. No 4K. Uh, no 4K. Unfortunately, it's only. It's weird with a twenty-four, um, in in the U.S. when it comes to their 4K stuff because what they'll do is they'll they'll release a 4K physical copy if the film is successful. So the only ones that they've released on 4K. Hereditary. Hereditary, Ex Machina, Moonlight, and The Witch are the are the ones that they've released. Um, so if Under the Silver Lake were to do well, maybe they would, but they're not even not giving chance. it a slip cover because <laughs> yeah. both Climax and Under the Silver Lake have gotten the short thrift when it came to the North American releases in uh, in for A twenty four. Do you worry them- about In Fabric? 
A little bit, but I think the trailer really piqued a lot of people's interest. So I think it will have you release get that a, in October. I think get we a release. This last yeah, because it doesn't have a release as of yet, other than it, it says it's coming soon. Um, but yeah, Under the Silver Lake is one. Uh, another stoner movie that I'd have to recommend that is coming out on Blu-ray uh, this week is The Beach Bum, which is one of oh, yeah. uh, my favorite films of the year. Uh, I was so not far. stoned when I saw that the first no, time. No, so. but you'll be stoned with laughter because uh, it is it is a good time. It's underrated, I think. And um, again, like, you know, we don't get many films from Harmony Corinne, but when we do, they're always interesting and weird. And this is one of Matthew McConaughey's best performances in the role he was basically born to play. And uh I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Um, so. Park Chan-wook's Thirst comes out onto Blu-ray through uh, Kino Lorber for the first time, cool. which is his vampire movie from 10 years ago. Um, and it stars the same lead who is in uh, Bong Joon-ho's uh, Parasite. I'm just going to bring up the name here uh, quickly. and it's Remember that episode where I butchered everyone's names? Song Kang-ho, who's also in Snowpiercer. Um, there's a great scene involving a flute um, that I won't say too much more other than that. And then Shout Factory, or Scream Factory specifically, was kind enough to send me a Blu-ray copy uh, box set of the Universal Horror Collection Volume 1, cool. which originally was going to be titled the Bela Lugosi Boris Karloff Collection, because all four movies that are in the package are Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi starring films. And this is a, a big deal for horror fans because this this pairing is like De Niro and Pacino in the horror world. Okay. Um, and the the best one in this box set is uh, The Black Cat. Now, you remember a little while ago I recommended uh, Edgar G. Almer's uh, Detour, uh, which is yep. now available on Blu-ray and physical copy and also on uh, the Criterion channel. Before that, he directed The Black Cat, which is a 1934 horror film that stars Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff. And what the movie is about is um, newlyweds that go on a, a honeymoon to Hungary, of all places, because nothing says uh, honeymoon destination more than Hungary. And, Hungary is uh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it is great. But ne like when you think honeymoon spots, you don't necessarily think... Eastern Europe, right? Like yeah. in, in, in that way. But so they go on this vacation and then they meet up with Bela Lugosi's doctor who is headed over to see an old friend, an old acquaintance who's an architect, an Austrian architect who's played by Boris Karloff. And the couple end up getting stuck with Bela Lugosi's character and trapped in this architect's home. And one thing leads to another and it gets very weird and dark and disturbing and just watching Lugosi and Karloff play off each other yeah. is incredible. And I remember as a kid, I mean, obviously with Frankenstein and Dracula being a huge fan of both of them and then seeing them on screen in this movie um, was amazing. And you know what the best part about this film is? What? 69 minutes. Ooh, nice. And it is weird, dark, funny gory a film that was made in 1934 and still holds up and if you have not seen this yet i highly recommend it um it is worth picking up because uh this pack also has a few other uh bella lugosi boris karloff movies like the raven and and a raven and and it's 
again, this is the crown jewel in this this particular collection, and it's worth picking up. And if you haven't seen The Black Cat and you're a horror fan, do it now. It's nice. really good. Also, the Carter effect, 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're in, you're out. You're yeah. <laughs> automatic one-star bump. Shout out to that. Uh is that it for physical? I'm just going to double check uh, quickly. Uh, I have the list up. Yes. Too. Yeah. Uh, so for my digital recommendations, I want to give a shout out to Too Old to Die Young, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you guys are craving 14-ish hours of Nicholas Finding Refin, uh, there you go. Each episode I looked is between like... Uh, an hour and 10 minutes to an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, so almost every episode is feature length, um, which is crazy. And I like Nicholas Vinding Refn a lot. This sounds like too much. It sounds a little extra. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he's already a lot. Yeah. Um, so I'm very curious to see if I... I can do 14 hours of him. Like I, I drive. I absolutely love neon um, demon is neon great. Demon the pusher movies are really yeah. good, but like, I, I don't like when he gets into the kind of spiritual territory, like Valhalla rising for me, I found kind of boring yeah. to be honest. And I know a lot of people do like that movie, but that was one that I found. Dis- oh, I like Bronson as well uh, a lot because of Tom Hardy, but that's more of a Tom Hardy film than it is. I, I mean, agree. it is still his style, but like, Hardy was the one that developed that film um, where like Drive and the Neon Demon, even though, again, Drive is a movie that he came on later on when Gosling kind of hired him uh, onto the project. But like those movies do feel like his style and his sort of, you know, ultra violent esque way of going about things. But yeah, like I, I think he's great in small doses. And so. and when I say small doses, I mean like a like one feature film every couple of years. And I like the guy. I mean, he's an interesting character. And now you get ten of them. In. Yeah, that might be too much. Yeah, I mean, I guess, at once, anyway. I mean, you can spread them out as as throughout the summer. Yeah, I guess. But I, I mean, I'm gonna try. I was to be. I'm always too picky, and this goes back to the conversation we said earlier. Like, I put it on yesterday after work, and it looks great in 4K HDR and on my TV. But I can't watch things if it's like still bright outside because like my curtains don't really block light right well and i get and like, it's shot in like a neon neon soaked dark yeah. like nighttime kind of like thing so it takes place over like one night i think um i could be wrong right but, and it has miles teller as you were mentioning yeah. john hawks uh jenna malone who mm-hmm. i'm sure is gonna do something something very weird, weird. <laughs> fuck a corpse i don't know <laughs> see i don't know if that could uh, be top just just the saliva oh God, in that, that scene. scene is disgusting but i was shocked watching that <laughs> and i don't get like me and you are pretty like nothing really surprises us i guess no. during movies much anymore like we know it's fake, right? Like so gore. And it can be like surprising that. if it's a studio movie that is doing something kind of like, bold, like yeah. a cure for wellness yeah. is the movie I always seem to reference with. It's like, oh, they actually went all the way with that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I, I'm not like I feel almost like I am a little too desensitized. I was gonna say the same word. Yeah. So in Neon Demon, I was like, oh my good lord. <laughs> 
Uh, so we'll see if there's anything that fucked up in this. I'm sure there will be. Yeah. He has plenty of time to do something incredibly fucked up during uh, 10 episodes. So uh, that's available on Amazon Prime right now if you guys want to check it out. We're going to try and uh, I'm going to try and catch a couple episodes this week or, or see how far I get without being exhausted. I will as well, it, you know, in between my Unsolved Mystery episodes. So we'll talk about it uh, more on next week's episode probably. Um, also all of the James Bond movies in 4k are $9.99 each on iTunes right now. And these um, are all of them, like every, every single one. Um, so I went and purchased at least, uh, I want to uh, catch up with the Daniel Craig movies again before, um, we get, uh, Bond 25 next year. Um, if it stays next year, um, Bond Rhapsody. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Bondemian Rhapsody. <laughs> uh, so I picked up, I want to watch Skyfall in 4K so badly. Um, so I, I picked up that in Casino Royale and then I was like, ah, fuck, I guess I'll buy Quantum of Solace. Cause like, and Spectre. I'm a, I had Spectre already. Oh, yeah. Um, and I got a digital copy from when I, I think I picked up Spectre for like really cheap. Like, yeah. Cause word is it, uh, through the digital bits that they're going to release uh, a 4K box set of the daniel craig ones later this year right so they're all available right now on on itunes and apple tv if you guys want to check that out uh, they look pretty good i put them on whenever i buy a new 4k movie i always just throw it on just to see what it looks like yeah well, um, especially the older ones like it, it, it would be interesting to watch some of the connery ones like see how uh, those hold yeah up. i would i just didn't want to ten dollars is great but there right. are a lot again you're still going to be spending a, quite a bit of money if you buy all of them right I, I was so I was hovering over Goldeneye. I just have such a nostalgic kind of attachment to Goldeneye because of the video game, the N sixty four game and stuff. And like, I don't love the movie. Like, it's good. I, I don't mind it. It probably still is the best of the Brosnan ones. Agreed. But I was just like, eh. I also picked up um, Air Force One because it was seven dollars. Oh four, yeah. In four, it's in four K Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos. So I'm like, I have to buy Air Force One because it's only seven dollars. Uh, so that, there's that. If you guys want to pick this up, this is all iTunes Canada. Sorry for everyone in Europe or the United States or anywhere else. Um, by all means, if you guys really, I, I just, that's so much research guys. I can't go into every iTunes store unless you um, want to pay us, uh, widows in 4k, which I think I've mentioned previously, but it's $10 right now. Uh, this is the first time I think I've seen Aquaman for this cheap, which is $10 in 4k. Uh, a, Actually, a surprisingly fun movie. Uh, very colorful and bright. A masterwork so, compared to most um, of the other DC. Uh, I would agree. Movies right now. So I think it would look great in 4K, though. Um, I think it has that expanded IMAX ratio as well. Yeah. In certain scenes, um, the Men in B Black trilogy, as Eric was mentioning, he watched the first one. Um, the trilogy in 4K is only fifteen dollars, so five dollars a movie right now. Um, I think that's definitely worth it in 4k and then the batman four pack which just recently was released in 4k but in individual copies. yes and then the box set will be released in september so you can get the digital box set um of all four movies for 35 dollars, which i did pick up you so, just buy batman and robin uh, for i was like you know what i want batman and batman returns and they were each like 15 dollars or something by themselves in 4k and then the whole package was 35 and i'm like might as well get. That's what I'm doing with like, when like I'm I didn't buy the individual uh, 4Ks one because the covers are horrendous, but two, I was like, I want Batman and Batman Returns 100 percent, 
but I don't want to pay for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin individually. But if they're a part of the box set, yeah, I will buy them. So that's what I did. And yeah. I put them on as well. It's weird looking at Batman and Robin or Batman Forever in such great quality because I'm just used to watching them on like VHS or something. Yeah. Because um, I remember seeing those movies in theaters and like like when you're fucking 10 years old or whatever or even earlier eight years old seven i remember being terrified if the if the security guard was going to fall into the acid right yeah (laughs) because we we were too young to see the first two in theaters yes Um, although i remember i remember the toys for batman Batman returns Returns. like i remember having the penguin uh the yellow duck penguin vehicle that would move and the umbrella would spin around but i was one of those those kids that were too afraid of batman returns like when it I was, was a scary movie when i was really young because i remember that's one reason i think a lot of parents didn't take their kids to see batman returns too because people it was like a dark twisted yeah version of of batman well even watching it on vhs as a kid i remember being freaked out Same. by yeah. devito specifically I, yeah. as the penguin penguin freaked the fuck out of me man like when he like, bites the one guy in the nose yeah. and, and then i remember really enjoying batman forever as a kid like a you're you're a dumb one of those dumb kids well because it was also the height of jim carrey right like it was like ace ventura's in a batman movie yeah and then batman and robin is when you're still very young and you're starting to go is this bad right and like when you're a kid it's very obvious as an adult very bad movie oh it's horrible but Um, i kind of like batman and robin more than batman forever because batman and robin is. is just so campy and over the top and and like it's bad but and i guess in an ironic way and like (laughs) schwarzenegger as as mr freeze is kind of amazing um in in again like a bad kind of way but batman forever is just kind of boring at times yeah i mean i have this weird nostalgic attachment to both of them where i actually do think both movies are watchable because they're so bad um and I do like Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Like, I, I honestly would like... I, I, I liked it even back then, and I still do now. Um, Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face, not so much. Um, I just felt bad for Billy D. Williams. I remember, yeah. And I remember watching it as an adult, and probably in college. They just cackle a lot. When like, it's Drew so Barrymore's there, and like, and that like was during, in, and, that, and that was weird as well because it's a small role and it's distracting. But this was that was at the time when Drew Barrymore had just gotten out of rehab and was starting to make a comeback, and nobody wanted to hire her at first because of insurance, and they were afraid she would relapse. So. Yeah. That was like, those were the kind of roles she was getting at first. But I just remember seeing his lair as an adult. And I'm like, how the fuck did he build this thing? Oh, it's <laughs> like, split in two. But yeah, yeah but like, that's like, something that you, you well, question. Well, it's, a, com- it's a comic book cartoon yeah. movie. I get it. Like, I just, it is a live action cartoon. And, and. But not always in the best, no. best, best possible way. It's, um, uh, it's pretty bad. So I'm excited to kind of go and rewatch those eventually, uh, all four and 4K. I don't know when I'll do that. Right. I think well, it is the 80th anniversary of Batman, Batman and which the is 20th, why they're doing all this. Yeah, and the 25th anniversary, no, 30th anniversary. Pardon me of of uh, 89. 89. Yep. Uh, so I have a feeling the kind of funny guys will probably do it in, in review eventually. So I might just like that convinces me to kind of follow along with them. So I'll probably hold off for that. Um, all right, let's get into talking trailers. Not nearly as many trailers as last week because we had to cover almost a month's worth. Um, but the biggest 
I, I guess arguably the biggest, but probably biggest for me and you this week, um, the Dr. Sleep trailer um, dropped, which is the, if you guys don't know what Dr. Sleep is, it's the uh, sequel to The Shining, um, starring um, Ewan McGregor as a older Danny Torrance. Yep. Um, and uh, directed by Mike Flanagan, who you guys would know from uh, The Haunting of Hill House most recently on Netflix, uh, Gerald's Game, Ouija, Oculus, uh, Oculus, um, a fucking ass load of horror movies. I feel like he pumps one or two out every year. Yeah, and he um, works with a lot of the same people, but this is, you know, like a, a big studio movie, and obviously, um, you know, being in the shadow of Stanley Kubrick I do not envy anyone, right? Um, because he, he's got the balls. That I, I like. I mean, yeah, but it's even stranger because it is. It is reference like it, it, it's, and it's not hiding it either. It is referencing the Kubrick movie. It, 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 it even, is a sequel to the Kubrick. Yeah, movie. yeah, and and it, it Stephen King hates Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. He does not like that adaptation so and, much so that King funded his own miniseries version yeah. of The Shining, which is a piece of garbage. Yeah. So that's so interesting that he was able to, and Warner Brothers was able to convince, Steve, I mean, Stephen King will pretty much let anything yeah. get made. Well, I talked about like, Sleepwalkers last week. Yeah. I mean, the guy, yeah, will do anything. But I, I kind it's of, just again, interesting that he let them take this novel that he wrote that was a sequel to his novel and then make it into a sequel to a movie that he really hates. But maybe he worked on that with Mike Flanagan on trying to kind of find a compromise of being like, well, I want this to be in the movie universe of this, not necessarily a sequel to the book and how that works out, right? Did right. you read Dr. Sleep or no? No, I've, I've read The Shining, yeah, um, but not Dr. Sleep. Um, I thought getting into the trailer uh, really dug it. Um, I... Flanagan is hit or miss for me, but I do think he has a pretty good track record of like six or seven out of every ten. Not I'm using a he has when he when he does hit, he usually hits, hits pretty yeah. hard. And like the last Stephen King adaptation he did with Gerald's Game is, is great, and that movie was almost unadaptable. And I've heard that. I mean, even though I haven't read Doctor Strange, I heard that uh, Doctor Strange, uh, Doctor Sleep. Is that Doctor Sleep isn't a very good novel, but maybe Mike Flanagan can make something out of it. And um, I hope that even though it is in this trailer referencing a lot of the iconic moments in Kubrick's movie, that it can become its own thing and do it in Not a way rely that's too interesting. Much on that. Yeah, because you understand that, like, you know, it's somebody who has these abilities and it seems to me that he's kind of cut himself off from the rest of the world until this young girl who has similar abilities comes into contact with him and it almost weirdly has like a a Logan-esque kind of thing going on uh, with it and also it reminded me a little bit just in terms of like the way that the trailer's cut like you know talking about um, a a legacy sequel or or a follow-up the way that the Prometheus trailers were cut as well where there are certain images in those trailers and in that movie that are directly referencing Alien but it's also trying to do its own thing yeah Yeah, I, I was into it. I um, And I like the murky look of it as well. That 100%. kind of cold, bluish green look. That, That's kind of his look, though. Yeah. Now, right? Like, it does very much, like, the lighting and everything. It, he's developed this style now that I can kind of go, oh, that looks like a Mike Flanagan horror And I just thing. hope that Rebecca Ferguson is given a role that is not... <laughs> completely covered in cgi and yeah and throwaway because she is so good and i just feel like 
between Men in Black International, even The Kid Who Would Be King, which I liked. I mean, that's a nothing role, really. Yeah. Um, and even The the Greatest Showman. Like, everything she's done post- Mission Impossible. Uh, Mission Impossible, I have not really dug. No. Um, and she's good, and I just feel like she's not being given the mo- or the material that could really catapult her into being a, a big movie star. Like, I just feel like she's got it. She just hasn't been given, other than the Mission Impossible movies, that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, you know, all the supporting roles she's been taking haven't been great. I mean, she's also supposed to be in, in Danny Villeneuve's Dune, so we'll see Hopefully that's that a goes. little meatier, yeah. right? And then, yeah, we have a story coming up about uh, Dune in general. But I'm very excited for Dune. I'm very excited for her in that. But... Um, yeah, I, I dug this. I'm I'm curious. Do they, I don't know if they go back to the Overlook Hotel. How much they'll rely on? Well, I know there was and, a while ago, or because they don't in the novel because the, it it burns down in the the novel of the Shining. Yes, correct? yeah, yeah. So I don't um, know how. But but then again, it. right? It's, it's it's referencing the, the Kubrick yeah. one. So maybe it goes back to the scene of the crime, or maybe it's recreated in a supernatural mindset. I right. mean, they do show you the image of the door with the missing piece where you know jack yeah had sort of so maybe elements of the shining will start integrating in his life and things like yeah and people have made the joke that a lot of younger film goers will know references from the shining because of ready player one in this and not because of the the shining the shining (laughs) yeah Uh, just yeah. don't just don't contact me between uh, five and six. Yeah. That's Willie's time. Yeah, but I definitely think Ready Player One probably helped with uh, and Warner Brothers is smart, right? Because they also made that movie, but um, including some of that imagery even in this trailer too. And I hope a lot of people, if anything, I know Ready Player One's not a great movie. I mean, I I liked it more than most probably. Although I think the reviews were okay on it, but um, I hope it some kids who watched ready player one were like, Ooh, what's that? Oh, that old movie, the shining. And then went back and like maybe watched their parents copy of it or something like that. That would have been cool. I'm very excited to check out that. I missed it at Lightbox. Your brother went. Yeah. Um, and it's also getting a, a 4k physical release so in I'm October. For that. Yeah. So I will definitely be watching the shining in 4k before I hope Tiff does another. I know they brought it back like, a couple weeks they'll later, probably do but... something in the summer or it'd be even great if cinesphere had it you know Ooh, that'd be nice yeah, yeah that 4k um and so... i just i also miss jack nicholson like every time i i talk about a jack nicholson movie i'm just like man he's just I spilling wish... chili man <laughs> i wish he was acting still but like i you know do you though like or well, do, or i just you... like him as a personality so and do i, I just... but like you want people to maybe step away when it's like right. The right no, time. and totally, I understand he deserves to, and like him and Gene Hackman have earned their retirements and and to bask in in the They're glory chilly. of of their chili. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Gene Hackman was in an episode of uh, Triple D. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. You said he was just randomly at the restaurant. Yeah, and so, but yeah, you just also miss them because there's nobody else really like those guys anymore. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for Dr. Sleep. Excited to see more, um, November. I doubt it has any chance of, uh, cause I mean, I'm trying to think like, I don't think it'll be a TIFF release yeah. or a TIFF, uh, Fantastic screening. Fest. M- maybe, maybe. I mean, it looks like it's almost done. I mean, we'll probably know more when it, when it's, um, 
uh, at uh, I mean Flanagan what is has it called? been at Scaredy Diego, Diego during yeah. Comic Con, yeah. yeah. But I mean, Flanagan has done the festival thing, right? But again, well, small, Oculus, yeah. but that was before distribution, like in terms yeah. of like him getting stuff in terms mm-hmm. of Netflix or other companies. It would be up a big work. get. I don't think it will, because like we unless it plays about... Midnight Madness, which I could see it playing Midnight Madness. But out of the movies that we know of that are the studio films, yeah, I say the only one I I could see right now would be the Rambo movie. Yeah, but I think they they need a bigger. No offense to Rambo. Um, How dare you? Rambo, I think, would be a fun opening night film because it comes out during the festival, much like Predator last year. Right. And I'm fascinated. Saying Stallone's like, not a icon. shout out to Peter Koplowski and shout out to his programming because I think it's really interesting that he has a nice blend of like bigger kind of studio movies, those smaller B movies, and like uh, it's like an a eclectic mix, mix of, of genre. Like, he knows what that audience likes, and I well, because he's, he's a fan like, himself, yeah, he, I mean, right? He, yeah, exactly. So I think last year when you had Predator and Halloween mixed in with that kind of lineup, I could see you getting one or two studio movies in the Midnight Madness lineup, and I think Rambo isn't that big, gigantic kind of thing like they had with Halloween, where it's something like Doctor Sleep could be right um and they could kind of imitate what they did um with halloween right like doing a big giant one night only one night only premiere of it right yeah and i mean warner brothers has done that as well with um i mean not that it's in the the same genre really but like with clint eastwood's hereafter i remember they had one screening of that movie and it was like at the elgin for one night yeah i mean warner brothers has done that so i mean even with something like cloud atlas which was like a bit that was warner brothers right yep. that was a big ambitious kind of sci-fi movie by the wachowskis that like i never thought would have played tiff right but it ended up I know it wasn't a one night only thing. It just played the festival and it was an ambitious miss. Uh, I like it. I but think it is more know, of an art house film with a studio sure. logo attached to it, right? Fair. That's fair. But still, I mean, giant names, a big giant budget. Like, and it was shot in Vancouver. Yeah. So, so it's got a Canadian I don't know. Connection. I just like, uh, we'll do a big TIFF preview show probably um, beginning of beginning to mid July of probably yeah when the first announcement we'll cover it throughout the months leading up to it predictions or something of what we think will I mean we scatter those in when we're talking about upcoming movies and things like that so there's some stuff that we've been this is what you're gonna be 10th or 11th year this year I think 2006 was the first time oh god so you're fucking 13 years yeah Um, and I actually just picked up the blu-ray of the three burials of Milkyata Sestrata which was your first which was the first and it finally got a blu-ray release through Sony Pictures Classics. Nice, man. Yeah. I think this is my 10th year because my first year was 2009. Yeah. Um, which is fucking insane. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my 10th year at TIFF. So we're starting to kind of understand, like, what the programming is and what they usually can or cannot get. Right. right? Um, and what is obvious that will play. Like, anything that comes out that, like, week in September leading, like, of TIFF. But you also have to think about the directors as well, right? Like, something like The Irishman. If The Irishman is going to play, which I don't know because it seems like they're still working on post-production. Like, it is a movie that is take they're taking It'll go down on the wire, right? Yeah. um, If that was to play at any festival, I'd say Scorsese would leave that for New York. And I wanted to correct myself. I think you're right. I think, though, because of the Netflix thing, it has a stronger chance now of playing multiple festivals or um, 
being at like mostly all of them. Um, yeah, but there are other Netflix films as well that I can definitely see them really pushing hard at all the festivals. Like I think the D. Reese movie will be something that they'll they'll really push for if it's if it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I want to correct myself last week when I talked about Ad Astra because it comes out before the New York Film Festival. Right. So it's not going to play the New York Film Festival. So it'll probably will be Tiff in Venice. Yeah, yeah. So um, And uh, uh, Telluride. No, yeah, Telluride. Yeah, yeah, probably all of them. We'll see. Um, next, there was a new trailer for Frozen 2. Uh, almost like a remix of the first trailer. It didn't have a ton of new footage. We got a little bit more of the story this time. I liked the style of the first trailer more with just Elsa stranded on that beach and trying to get through the water and the, the kind of the darker, more like serious music with it and stuff like that. But we talked about the original frozen trailers um, earlier in the show. And it's just such a, it just shows you how much the marketing has changed for Disney in the last five years. And, um, and for certain franchises. But um, I don't, yeah, I can't say any of this has been like, Oh shit, I can't wait to see frozen two. Um Again, you were mentioning off air that you're like, it seems kind of unnecessary that we're getting just like back story for Elsa and stuff. Like right. This. Yeah. So the like, mystery of her, her powers. I mean, this trailer left me in a, and I know this is a bad pun, but it left me a little cold. Um, I hate you. But I do feel like it almost is like one of those movies where like part of the reveal will be like almost like a Professor X kind of ending where like some character will emerge. That's a new I think. Probably it'll be like Sterling K. Brown, who we haven't had any information on who he's playing yet. It sort of has like a connection like to an overseer of like, yeah, yeah, of these powers, and 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 I mean, it is the trailer is also playing beat for beat in the similar storyline of the last one. Like it feels like okay, Elsa's gone on this mission, and so her sister has to go separated and, and find yeah, her. find her. It's... Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm I am kind of curious in developing this again i like the frozen verse yeah like i'm kind of okay with that and like if you have different people who have powers based on the seasons or something like that or even if they're starting i don't think everything needs to be a shared universe or tied together but like right so you're saying this is not going to be tied to new mutants no or x-men in general though it does kind of have an x-men vibe to it right especially because now they're they're Um, talking about her powers in a kind of and they've hinted at this, away, yeah. Right? And they've hinted at this other character that looks like it's going to play into the autumn or the fall season, right? We've seen the blowing leaves. You've seen that forest that looks like it's kind of uh, in autumn, much like where Riverdale or whatever the fuck they're from. What's their Riverdale? <laughs> yeah, um, I forget what the little town is that they. Um, oh, what's funny? I was watching it last. So night. Archie is the autumn. Um, it's called. What's the city called? Yeah, man, you watched it last. And, and last it's supposed night. to be in Norway, and it's funny because um, they put up in the coronation scene for Elsa. Um, they put up this same thing from. Um, is it the same place that Billy Magnuson is from in in Aladdin? Ho- hopefully, um, I'm telling you, there's going to be a shared universe with all the animated movies. Um, because uh, they could tie it into Tangled or even Pocahontas or or, or well, they kind of like, already did, right? With yeah. with uh, that's the in a Ralph more movie, a meta way, right? though, yeah. right? Um, anyways, getting back to this, what point was I making? What was I talking about? I think you were talking about that this trailer is okay, but it's, it's not fine. as good as um, the original teaser, and 
you still will probably have to be won over by the movie itself, especially considering that awful uh, Olaf short that was attached to Coco. It was upsetting. Yeah. Remember they pulled it because people were complaining. Yeah, it is <laughs> like bad. Families were, like people who, families who probably loved Frozen. Um, but I also think, I'm like, wow, Frozen was five years ago. So a lot of these people who were probably, what, 10 years old? When, or nine years old are like now teenagers and shit like that. Time is weird, man. They've let it go, man. Oh, They've let it go. <laughs> but I, I'm will a will a song slap as hard as let it go? We'll I, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. Yeah, I, I do think the music's gonna be great though, and like I, I really do think that they're not really showing us much, like because even all of this footage is. So I don't know if there'll be some crazy surprise, but more this goes. This is some inside baseball shit. But whenever we get press invites from disney now it's always fascinating because everyone they're like please don't spoil anything <laughs> like there are huge spoilers in these movies please and don't you understand that with star wars or but some we got of the it marvel toy stuff. story and yeah like, and we're like i don't think aladdin maybe had that maybe i forget but movies spoilers they, there's a magic carpet in aladdin for movies that they really don't want you to find out some surprises and stuff they like tell us in the the invites um so it'll be interesting that they're more secretive now, you know. They want you to experience the stuff in the in the theaters. So I'm excited to see what the hell this is, and um, just a crazy year for. We talked about it going into late last year into this year. It's just like this is a, the top ten movies of the year might all be Disney movies. Well, the top ten films of all time will probably end up being Disney movies within the next couple of years. Yeah, it's crazy. So I don't know. I really do love the first frozen movie um and it really reminds me of the 90s disney movies i grew up with and uh again don't think a sequel is necessary i get why they're doing it i just hope i'm it, i'm glad it looks like the quality is better than the sequels we got from the disney movies of the 90s right um, like well because a lot of those were direct to video anyways yeah. those right? were cash grabs yeah where um this, if they're building a world and and introducing more and characters with similar powers, I just I don't. And they have that cool. documentary series coming out about it as well on Disney Plus, right? Yeah, so that'll be kind of interesting, I guess. And just give Olaf his own fucking TV show on Disney Plus. Get him out there. Yeah, that no one will watch. Like, that's under the I mean. age of five. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Make it for he is for young kids. Yeah. I get it, but. Um, do not like that character at all. I don't either. Um, Sven, I can put up with. He doesn't talk. He's cute. He's a little reindeer. He's so adorable at the beginning of that movie. A little Sven running around. It's a cute little cutie. Um, Almost sounds like a surfer name. Yeah. I'm and, Sven. <laughs> and then the last trailer you put on my radar right before we started recording is Loose. Yes. Uh, which is a neon film that premiered at uh, Sundance. Sundance. If you want to give more some more details, you probably yeah. More. So uh, from the trailer and from everything I've heard uh, at both uh, Sundance and Tribeca, um, it's about a family who has adopted a, a young boy from, I, I can't remember where they say he's yeah, from. Yeah, you don't want to misspeak and sound, yeah, like, but yeah. I, he's they from a war-torn country. Yes, right? and so the idea is that, you know, he has been brought into this American family and he's become kind of a poster boy for the... Uh, uh, the best student you could be. And he kind of has some friction with Octavia Spencer's teacher after writing this report and sort of suggesting that violence is 
the answer the answer to or the response to getting your way or, or or showing power and not sort of being diplomatic and from there it becomes almost like this tense thriller and sort of where the truth lies and um who is being honest and who is not and and what is a gray zone being sort of a model student in kind of a, a white savior situation and sort of the expectations that society has on people and individuals and and sort of giving privilege to to others and it kind of it's, it's it looks very intriguing um i like both naomi watts and uh tim roth octavia spencer as well and then you have uh uh, Kelvin uh, Harris Jr., who was fantastic in uh, It Comes at Night. Um, so it looks like it's going to be a good movie. I know a film critic that we're familiar with, Jason Gorber, really liked the movie a lot. Like he said, it's like a five-star masterpiece. Um, the only thing is I'm, I'm a little nervous about is that it's from the same director who did Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> oh, I mean, again, but it, it looks it's a it, 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 it's Chernobyl's a different from, genre. Chernobyl's right? from the writer of like disaster movie, or right? Something, and Rocket so. Man, not yeah. the Rocket Man that's now playing. So everyone is entitled for their glow up, okay? Right. You know, they can come out of the deep dark basement. And oh, 100 percent. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And I actually really dug this trailer. I'm glad that you put it on my radar and and made me watch it for the show because. I had no idea what it was, um, but after watching this, I am definitely looking forward to it. It looks like a really tense, interesting kind of psychological thriller. Yeah, and it comes out the beginning of August. It's opening, uh, Neon is opening it in the U.S., and Elevation Pictures has it for Canada. Yes, so definitely check out the trailer if you guys haven't, because I don't think it gives too much away. Like, it, no, it, it it just gives you enough to intrigue you and also sort of question the character motives, which is always interesting. A hundred percent. All right, moving on to this week in the news. Uh, some interesting stuff. Uh, some DiCaprio news, because. Uh, he decided he doesn't want to do anything right now. So no, he wants people... to see, sit and eat chili with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's slowly morphing into Jack Nicholson ever since The Departed. Um, so the first story we got is Bradley Cooper. Um, it looks like he is going to be replacing Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, we mentioned this new story a couple weeks ago. But uh, Bradley Cooper uh, looks like he's going to be replacing DiCaprio in Nightmare Alley for Guillermo del Toro. Which is so. going to shoot in Toronto. In that the fall. Correct. Yeah, that is correct. So it looks like Leo, ultimately, he was in negotiations and then couldn't work out a they deal. They couldn't meet his quota. Uh, so I'm wondering what happened there. But, I mean, whatever. I think, it was, I think it, from what Variety was saying, it seemed to be a money thing. Interesting. Um, and maybe, maybe I, I would also say that um, Scorsese has been in the works to put together his next film, uh, Killer's... Uh, of the moon, um, which is based on David Grant's book. Um, and I think that that is going to be happening soon. So maybe he saw that and yeah, cause he was attached to that before, uh, nightmare alley. And then there was also the debate, you know, like he picked nightmare alley over a Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, project and, uh, Alejandro Gonzalez and so do you, my question, do you think he goes back to one of those projects? Depends how much the, they're willing to give him. Right. So that's, a, that's it's interesting, right? Because you've got to think all three of those movies, I mean, they can afford DiCaprio because he's worked with Inuritu before and stuff like that. But like. And Anderson wants to work with him. Like he's, he's talked, he was doing, when he was doing the rounds for Phantom Thread, there was a, um, I can't 
can't remember. It was a sports podcast of all things that he was on, and he was and somebody asked him like, "Why haven't you worked with uh, DiCaprio yet?" And he said, um, "It'll happen. It's going to happen. Um, he wants it to happen." So um, I feel that you know, if depending on the script and what have you, when Anderson's ready to go, if it works, maybe he he will go back to him, or maybe and he'll feel uh, DiCaprio will feel some sort of obligation to work with. And you read to again just because he won him the Oscar, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It looks like DiCaprio only does what DiCaprio really wants, which so. he totally has earned the right to do, right? At this point, yeah. and, and I think if it, the Scorsese film is ready to go this year, that will probably be the next film because he does tend Killer to, of the Flower Moon. That's what yeah, it is. He tends to work with people he's comfortable with. Yeah, you know? yeah, and he keeps jumping back and forth between people and, and when you say like he's com- people that he's comfortable with he always picks people that have had a proven track record like he never usually picks uh, a new filmmaker like yeah. it has to be someone who's had two or three films at least and somebody that has either you know garnered critical acclaim box office success or has won an oscar mm-hmm. yeah i think we had when i think we were talked about the same thing when we thought he was doing this so interesting i mean bradley cooper um obviously on a roll um uh he was fantastic and a star is born had tons of success there so um curious i think this movie takes place in the 1940s yeah and yeah. it's it's kind of like a weird film noir horror movie or at least the book is yeah so i mean cool i'm but, I'm but the character's age is 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 odd because in the book <laughs> at least the character goes from age 20 to 35 cooper's in his 40s Right. So it'll be, I don't know. The age? I don't know. Maybe they just rewrote it differently because the idea is that this character is a con man and works with a psychiatrist who's even worse than he is. Um, and just, that, that could be interesting as well because depending on who they cast for that role, it could really uh, have strong chemistry in terms of, of that performance. Lady Gaga. Probably. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I um, Del Toro is one of those guys I don't always... Uh, love his work, and I think I've talked about this on here before. But I still, I always appreciate what he's doing, and I try to give it a shot. Like I loved Shape of Water, but um, uh, he's hit or miss for me usually. He's mostly hit for me because he's he he's one of those guys that checks off a a, a spot in my um, wheelhouse because yeah. I love horror movies and yeah. genre stuff, and he's obviously a huge supporter of that. So, um, but I mean, I'm not. Like there's some stuff that of his that I'm kind of mixed on. Like obviously mimic is is a bit of a a low point, and even he'll admit that. And and working with Harvey Weinstein, but even something like Blade Two, I'm not the hugest fan of, and and that seems to be a movie that a lot of people like. But uh, Pan's Labyrinth and and Devil's Backbone and Kronos are all great movies. And and even if you don't love Crimson Peak, I mean the the craft and artistry in that movie is impeccable. And you know what he's trying to go for with those movies. Yeah, 100%. Um, next up, uh, Amazon Studios it looks to pull a Roma with the report. Um, so the, report the Roma is, report. Uh, Scott Z. Burns directed uh, political th- thriller drama. Yeah, uh, about Adam uh, Driver. The uh, sort of the dealings of the CIA and like torture investigations and stuff like that. Yes. And then um, so it looks like their release plan for it is that they're going to release it limited in late September and then a few weeks later immediately drop it on uh, Amazon uh, Prime. 
which is interesting because yeah, cause this, they usually would go with full theatrical releases. Before. Yeah, and especially a film that they picked up at Sundance that was uh, a buzz for awards consideration, especially with uh, Annette Bening because she's been nominated now, what, four times? It's never won. And the, with the recent controversy of Roma and, like, you know, the people like Spielberg who have said, you know, the theatrical experience is the only way to watch a movie in that films that are released on streaming platforms even a couple weeks later um, should be only considered for television. Yeah. And, so, I mean, it's it's interesting that they're following suit after changing their model for... I mean, they've always partnered with other distributors, right? Yeah, and then, yeah. Yeah. And they've... I mean, they've had decent success with stuff like Manchester by the Sea. And, and, and so... It is an odd choice, especially for this film. Like, I could understand them maybe doing it for, like, a comedy. Like, they picked up um, Britney Runs a Marathon, which just, they released a trailer for that recently as well. Um, But, yeah, this seems like they probably should go the more traditional route, especially because I think that this is going to be their awards film for the year. Right. But, hey, I mean, if they can make it work. It's a tough sell, too, though, Right. right? So, I mean, why not put it in theaters for a couple weeks? This is what the model I want. Though. right like this is what well, it's a qualifying run and then it'll play on amazon so everyone can see it or it'll be available for everyone and it's still going to play in theaters after yeah it's released on amazon like it's not just going to go away so there still is the option at least in the u.s but this is exactly the future that i want i want one or two week engagements at a cinema and then immediately be on streaming service Right. Well, and especially when you get to the fall, I mean, for me anyways, like I know that I get a lot of um, screeners, so it almost feels like that anyways at, at, at some point where it's right. like you just end up watching a lot of stuff on DVDs. DVDs. <laughs> Ugh. They really got to get you Blu-rays, man. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You're two generations behind now. Or just give you a fucking digital version that's yeah. in 4K or like... Or I get piracy things, but I mean, like... Ah. Sometimes you'll get Vimeo screener links, but... Which like, is nice. Yeah. yeah. Vimeo's pretty good. That's what Criterion uses for their streaming services, Vimeo. Yeah. Um, did you sign up to get that card? Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, you did. Sorry. The classes, I had to let that out. The Criterion burp. Um, you know I did. I'm I a card-carrying Criterion member. Yeah, I got one, too. Uh, I haven't finished a movie yet on it, but I wanted that stupid card. Um... I'm just garbage. Um, Blumhouse is remaking Black Christmas with director Sophia Takal. Yes, who also directed uh, Always Shine with Mackenzie Davis, which is a film kind of in the persona uh, uh, milieu of a a couple of friends that are going completely crazy over the course of a weekend. Um, Really, really well done. And then also... um, Imogen Poots has been cast in the lead. Absolutely love her. Um, but what I found really interesting about this, I mean, obviously there's Canadian connections to the original one, which is the Bob Clark uh, movie that uh, is a predis- predates um, John Carpenter's Halloween as that kind of point of view horror movie of the the killer and watching the killer take out his his victims um but then they remade it in the uh, early 2000s as like just a straightforward slasher film terrible movie i do remember yeah 
But what I like about this, or what I find most interesting, is that April Wolf is the co-writer of this movie, and she is a film critic and podcaster, so she has um, a taken a hiatus on both podcasts that she's usually a host on, which is Who Shot Ya and Switchblade Sisters. And she was talking, not she didn't specify what she was doing, but she said... A few weeks ago that she'd be taking about half a year off to do some writing and she didn't say why. And then yesterday when this was announced, I was like, oh, okay. This uh, makes sense. Now. Yeah, this makes a hundred like sense. And like she is a horror fan. Like if, if you haven't listened or to Switchblade Sisters specifically, where like each week she'll have a um, uh, a woman within the industry come on and talk about a movie that they really love that's genre uh, related and they'll go through the film and also uh, the career of the person that they have on. Um, it's really engaging, really funny. It's a great podcast. And I feel that um, with her a part of this remake that it'll be at least a curiosity at the very least. And I, and I want to see what she does with it. I almost have a feeling that it will take place in Michigan because she's from Michigan originally. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm into it. I mean, I had no real attachment to the film or interest, but the more you talk about it, I, I could, I'll fuck it's with it. It's got the poots, man. Um, but also I, I do highly recommend if anybody has not seen Bob Clark's version to go back and check that out. That is one of the best early American slasher films from the late 1970s. And um, I mean, even Tarantino is one of uh, the biggest fans of that movie. He has a, a his own personal print that he'll lend out from time to time as well. Noise. And it's from the, I mean, Bob Clark also did the Porky movies as well. So. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Next. Um, I don't know if we covered that Richard Jewell. Uh, no, we didn't because I remember it. last week before we recorded, we said that we had so much to do we that to or cover some. that we'd cut some out and we'd go back to it if we didn't have anything for our next episode. So originally a 20th Century Fox film, but yeah. they just sold it recently to Warner Brothers. That's which the makes, power of Clint Eastwood, man. Yeah, it makes sense. Warner's yeah. Warner's in the Eastwood business. But originally um, it was a Warner Brothers movie as well because Eastwood had been circling this film a while ago. Um, when it was being optioned by Warner Brothers and Jonah Hill and DiCaprio were going to star. Right. So, I mean, it's back at Warner Brothers. Um, makes sense. Uh, didn't really, I, I guess, fit the Fox slate or Searchlight slate. So, uh, But we did get some news of uh, some of the cast. Did I miss anything or is this the only first casting of it? it there's three people uh, that have been cast. So you go ahead. So uh, Sam Rockwell is playing the attorney who's replacing DiCaprio. Because uh, yeah. when I think Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> second in command is is Sam Rockwell. Yeah, uh, I love the guy. Don't I get love me wrong. Sam Rockwell. Uh, yeah. And then we have is it Patrick uh, Paul uh, Walter Hauser? Yeah, because I want to say Wing Wings Hauser because that's a an eighties actor from uh, a movie called Vice Squad. Um, you guys would recognize from Itanya. Itanya, he's in uh, Late Night as one of the the writers. writers yeah. Um, there was something else. He, oh, Black Klansman. Right. As well, he was in yes. that as well, and he's he has the titular role of Richard Jewell. And from reading what the story is about, it's kind of sad. Yeah, um, I don't know if any like I don't know if you want to go into it, but it's about a security guard in the late nineties. Check where um, can you look up where it's where he's from? It was it was a he became a suspected uh, a suspect in a terrorist bombing case, and he never recovered from it because. People had suspicions of him even after the event. I just can't oh, remember the, the event. Uh, Olympics bombing in yes. Atlanta. Yeah. 
And so he was the one that kind of first he was kind of at first sort of heralded as a hero. And then afterwards, everybody thought he was the one that orchestrated it. And even though he was cleared, he never quite recovered from that reputation. And to me, it almost feels like it could be this weird double bill with Eastwood Sully, where like, you know, Sully does this heroic thing. And then he comes into question afterwards and sort of like the behind the scenes of, of that and, and sort of um, the airline sort of investigating him. Okay, cool. Um, and then Kathy Bates was also cast uh, in the role of uh, Richard Jewell's mother, which was announced on ComingSoon.net. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Eastwood, uh, in his later twilight? years now, yeah, in his twilight years, um, hit or miss. Like, I, I liked Sully enough. Um, slight, but I in, in enjoyed it. Saw it in IMAX, thought it looked nice uh short the, the it was short yes the mule is something the mule is such a weird movie because it's like part of me likes it for being so stubbornly old school in a way and then uh, the other part of me is like man this movie is so problematic <laughs> yeah um but yeah like it almost feels like there, there are some people and and the way that his career has divided a lot of critics now as well, because there's some people that feel like he's making his best movies and a lot of people really love the mule and, um, you know, that he's becoming more and more of this, you know, old school, a tour filmmaker. And then there are other people where it's like, he's just too old and isn't doing anything to really make a movie or shape a film. Like he's just literally a presence, a presence. That's and it. And then the AD probably does most of it. Or yeah. Something. And Eastwood's known for doing like one or two takes and that's it. And I feel like he just rushes through to get the movie done as quickly as possible. I don't doubt it. But hey. Like this movie will probably be ready by the end of the year. I don't doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> that always happens. We get to like late November and they're like, yeah, we're getting an Eastwood movie. Well, because the out. Mule shot last summer and it was released in December. So. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, finally, our last piece of news um, related to Dune. We haven't had a Dune news piece in a while. There was a, a streak there where we went like a month in a row or two months with just Dune casting. Well, you know um, what day it is, Matt. It's Dune's Day. Ooh. Uh, so they're doing a Dune TV series at the Warner streaming service. And uh, the biggest piece of news out of this for me was Denny Villeneuve is actually involved and he will be directing the pilot episode. Yes. Um, and uh, you know more about Dune than I do. Yeah. So but... it's focusing on the sisterhood, right? Yes. Um, and that might be interesting. And it's supposed so to prequel um, or. Well, some someone was making a comment and I can't remember who it was. So I apologize that I'm not crediting you. But someone said it was almost like. Denny Villeneuve is doing what Ron Howard was trying to do with the Dark Tower yes. film, where it's like you you do the movie because we know that Dune is going to be two parts. So in between those two parts, you have this series. Now, whether or not it's a prequel series or it's just going to get further into the minutia um, of the world itself um, is really still in development stages. But I mean, there's a lot of books. There's there's Children of Dune. There's a couple other ones that kind of like get into and yeah, and and I don't know how much he'll take from those other Frank Herbert uh, novels, but uh, we'll see. And we'll also find out if, you know, any of the cast that are in the film will will end up being in the series. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I don't know much about it, but I'm fascinated and uh, I'm very excited. But does it get you interested in sort of like 
wanting to um, sign up for no. Warner, yeah, Warner Media. I mean, that's the uh, big thing, right? It's interesting here. Like, I don't know how it's all going to work, right? Like, with this, I don't know if this will be available in Canada, this Warner streaming service, because, like, I think the biggest thing with it is, like, oh, it involve, it, you get stars, and I think you get uh, HBO with this Warner streaming service. But because those are already kind of licensed out to Crave, are we going to get this stuff on Crave, you think? Or is the Warner streaming service going to come here? Like, I don't know how long the deal with HBO. Or will it be something like the Bell Twilight is? Zone, right? Where, like, you know, some people got CBS at All Access. But then it aired on City, City TV yeah. here, which was weird. But then you could buy it on iTunes, which is, I think, how I'm going to get the rest of that season. Just because I've watched the first three episodes and then, again, fell out of it and just haven't gone back to it. Um yeah, dude. I don't. I don't. I don't think I have any interest. There's. We're getting into the streaming. Wars the streaming and, wars. Yeah, and I which just is part like, of before Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like ah, there's too much. And like again, I'm an Apple fanboy. I talked to you guys as how much I watch on my Apple TV. 4K but there was nothing in like that, that streaming or that and they conference. They keep showing things like at the Ubisoft conference. They showed the trailer for that new uh, show from Rob McElhaney and the always sunny in Philadelphia team of like it, it, I think it takes place at a fake Ubisoft like office. And like, he's a game, he's a creative director on a video game. And like, that's coming to Apple TV and it just did nothing for me. Did you watch the space that trailer came out? I didn't put it on our trailers, but no, I, think, I didn't, I didn't even know they dropped a trailer for one of their shows. And I'm like, I didn't even see that. And I'm so like, that's not a good sign. And I just like nothing they've shown me for the Apple streaming service shows that I want to sign up for that. Um, nothing on the Warner thing. Like as much as maybe I'll love Dune. Um, but I, I don't know if like one show, um, and like HBO stuff where I can get other places. Like I don't, yeah, maybe they'll just sell the rights to that show, but because it'll probably be a R rated show, like an HBO style kind of thing. It, where will it end up? Will right. It be on Crave and their terrible streaming quality or, People got to fix that shit too, right? But I've noticed that the apps on my LG TV, which is recently fixed, I think I mentioned on my last episode. You did. Um, like if I use the Amazon Prime or the YouTube or the Netflix app straight from my LG TV, I actually get really good picture quality, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. What about you? Like you're a Dune fan and you're, I, I know we both love Denny Villeneuve and we're very excited for the movie, but like, well, I never, that, that's a funny thing. Cause I never watched the, um, the sci-fi series that originally aired that were yeah. the spinoffs. Susan Sarandon was in one of them. I, I just, I, I was never interested in, we're in not those. TV guys really, right? No, like, no. And I still love Dune and I love the books and, and, and I, and I read a lot of them. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, even with Denny Villeneuve's participation, it kind of feels like this is just a way to hook you into buying another service. And, and like, I probably wouldn't even have Amazon Prime if I didn't actually just, the, all the other stuff with Amazon Yeah, Prime. just give me the movies. Just give me the two films. I know that they're going to be event movies, and I'm excited for them, and that's really all I need. I, I like the idea of having this 
very ambitious, connective, you know, film and television bridge kind of thing. I mean, but, Disney's doing it. Too, yeah, right? but it really hasn't been successful as of as of yet. Yeah, because, no like, it feels yeah. like everybody has been trying to do that with, again, you know, the, the aforementioned Dark Tower thing. And with, you mentioned uh, the Marvel Studios uh, Disney Plus stuff. Um but it'll be interesting to see it actually come into fruition and see how it works instead of it just being an idea or a, or a pitch. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, like, will people that watch that film go to it? Because the Dune fans are a niche group of people anyways, and I feel like they will watch it. But it's like, how do you get the average moviegoer that will just enjoy a sci-fi film for what it is to go deeper into the minutia of of Herbert's world, right? Like it's it's the same thing even with this new Lord of the Rings series with with Amazon. I feel like Peter Jackson basically covered everything in in both the theatrical and extended cuts that everybody really wanted and and he kind of tainted it with the Hobbit movies, but like at least with the Lord of the Rings stuff, it was all there and he made it as you know, dense as possible and as accessible as possible for both fans and diehard fans and people that are just wanting to go and enjoy it. So you you had the option with this. I I just don't know. I just I I guess I'd need to see a trailer for it first or something just to see concept art or something. Even shit that we I looks good from trailers. I just don't. Again, this goes back to the very good problem to have of that there's too much content yeah and Although, i just can't pay for all these fucking streaming services i go in my subscriptions i'm like i forgot and it's gonna become cable again I when they bundle all i keep these. subscribing them and video games are getting into it too so like everything is just a streaming service now yeah and i think it's a good future and it's a convenient future and i, I it's want, a custom-made future yeah but it's just when you get too many of them it's just like some of these things have to die and right like, but what i will say is that i had no interest in a Watchmen series, but after seeing the teasers for it, I'm kind of curious about oh, anything that. can win you over. Like yeah. I've kept my HBO subscription after Game of Thrones just because I'm like, all right, they're doing enough where they're like Big Little Lies season two, totally unnecessary, but all right, you got me. It's a couple weeks after Game of Thrones. I'll start it. And you're a huge Meryl Streep fan. Uh, oh God, I watched half of the first episode. And I'm like, I still, I just don't like Meryl Streep. She's got fake teeth in and I just don't like it. Um, and then with Euphoria, 30 penises in one scene. Come on. <laughs> that was the original um, title. Uh, 30 peen? So I thought, like, I don't know. Euphoria's, Did you watch it? It's not. It's this weekend. I oh, think. it's this weekend? It's first episode Sunday after Big Little Eyes, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, supposed to be very dark. Uh, yeah, because it's an A24 uh, co-collaboration. Yeah, right? and... Um, supposed to be very dark and because it's revolving around teenagers and like high school and stuff going to be very controversial based on like those articles that came out but you know the articles are because they're like wow if we tell people there's a lot of penises and some overdoses and a lot of nudity and sex like <laughs> did um, game of thrones have 30 penises i be, think not maybe in the whole series we have 30 penises in one scene and like <laughs> where do you go um, from there and but what worries me about euphoria you know who directed it who sam Levin. Um, so for people who don't know, but remember we've talked about this on this episode you know give give people a chance, chance. Yeah. i will i did not like uh what the fuck is that movie we watched last year are we both blanking on i it? think we are american no i'm thinking american ultra but it's not american ultra i know what american ultra is yeah that's the jesse eisenberg Kristen stewart movie right it's gonna drive me fucking crazy sam Levinson. 
we both hated it. Played Midnight Madness last year. Some people oh, liked it. Assassination yes, Nation. Yes, that's fuck that. Oh, so movie. you didn't even clue in? No, that, that's, yeah. No, I I was like, yeah, Barry yeah, Levinson's Barry's kid. son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. That's why I needed to bring it up to you. Oh, <laughs> so that's why. And it's again teenagers and like, uh, oh fuck. So I just. Well, let me know what you think. If yeah. you like it, I'll give it a shot. But if not, I I, I won't. I like Zendaya as well, but I just... Mm. I don't know. So I've kept my HBO subscription <laughs> to see 30 penises in Euphoria. Yeah. But, Actually, the 30 penises uh, are in uh, Watchmen. And it's just... I'm sure Watchmen watched It's just some, Dr. Uh, Manhattan. Yeah. Is Dr. Manhattan dead? No, Dr. Manhattan He just went to, to Mars yeah, or something, Yeah, he just right? got the fuck out of <laughs> Yeah, out of so Dodge. he can be fully nude. He can yeah. have his big floppy blue dick everywhere. <laughs> Good for him. Um, uh, yeah, and then the other controversy that they said, there's like a statutory rape scene where a guy has like an erect penis, which we don't see many erect penises. We barely see normal penises. You know where you see so. an erect penis? Bad lieutenant. Yeah? yeah. Do you? Yeah. Is it, is Harvey it? Keitel's. Oh, is it his actual penis? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And he cries. Because this, this one is... He cries they during said, having an erect penis. And this one, they talk about that it's a it's a fake erect penis. So No, this was Harvey Keitel's... But I think uh, the scene with 30 penises might be real penises. So right. This is a weird way to end this episode. But Euphoria is streaming on Crave on Sunday or HBO in the US. I think it's this Sunday. I could be wrong. Oh, God, Sam Levinson. Yeah, that's what worries me. But I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. But No, he's not the show creator, is he? I think so. Oh, or no, it's is it based on a series or a book? Or but something? is he running it or is he just no, directing he direct, it? He directed and wrote all episodes. So he wrote and directed it because it's based on his experiences as a teenager. Because uh, he, he had a drug problem and stuff like that. And uh, so maybe uh, Barry Levinson makes a cameo as someone's dad. Yeah. I wonder if a character will be based off of. Yeah. So while my dad, dad was making uh, Rain Black. Man. <laughs> 30 penises yeah although barry levinson like i um the thing that barry levinson i i like barry levinson um but um he did lend his name to um oz the hbo series the prison series yeah um so who knows maybe maybe sam levinson will we shine know. the way that barry levinson like we said i mean oz. i'll give everyone another shot like even though i hated 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 your last movie i'll yeah i mean i'll give you a shot oh so. my god but strike me down twice, you're dead to me. <laughs> so. Fool me once, shame on you. Yeah. Fool me twice, we'll get fooled again. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll give you. We'll still see your shit. Anyways, uh, that about wraps up this episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast. As always, you can get this uh, each and every week on podcast services around the globe. We'd really appreciate if you guys would go and rate this podcast as well as our other podcast. Uh, give Untitled- us five peens up. <laughs> God damn it. We just got away from that. Um, uh, they're stars, not peens. But you guys can give us a, a wonderful five-star rating if you would. That would be wonderful. Share it with your friends. Anyone you know that likes movies and wants to hear us talk about the Toronto Raptors for 35 minutes, um, share this with them. Um, uh, you can check out our new reviews of Men in Black International as well as Dark Phoenix. And if you want something a little bit more positive, you can go listen to our Booksmart review. Um, even Aladdin, we're a little softer on. Although, uh, God, I used soft. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, <laughs> go listen to our other reviews. You mean like uh, Ubisoft? Oh. Uh, as always, my name is Matt <laughs> 
<laughs> you can find more of my work uh, around the interwebs uh, and at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And please go follow me on all of the social medias, mostly Twitter and Letterboxd is where you can find me most active, at Matt Rorabek. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my work and reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at em6211. Um, and until next time... We're going to give it a heart out. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs>